Hello and welcome to Media May, the show in which we, year by year, explore the movies, music, and TV that most divided our lives. I am your host, a cat, a panther, Rod, and I'm joined by... A successful businesswoman, Jess. I'll say. We look very professional. We just got new mic stands. We look snazzy. We are very snazzy. I am definitely in a three-piece suit right now. Imagine that. Three pieces of a suit. I am in because I am a successful businesswoman. I look like a schlub, as always. <laughs> <laughs> I got a Dark Souls t-shirt on. That's my life. Well, I am in a successful woman's business suit and a beehive hairstyle. Anyway, hey, welcome to Media Made. If you're new to the show, let me explain. Uh, Jess and I, what we do is we talk about movies, music, and TV year by year. So we are in the year 1997. And we're going to be talking about the movies from 1997 that Jess and I have seen the most of, right? So each of us, the movies that we each watched the most in our lives. The two movies. Yes. The two movies that both of us, we, two people, watched the but not most. To, not together. It's like each individually. The, the most one. in our lives individually. The most. <laughs> I feel like I've elegant. I, I've been able to more elegantly explain this premise in other episodes. You, you um, repeated yourself as much as somebody in the second movie that we're going to discuss today. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, you know, a little bit of Valley Girl in all of us. <laughs> but it is a new year. It's 1997. Uh, and as with all new years, we ask, where were you in the year 1997? Definitely alive. <laughs> you were eight years old? Yes. I was a new sister. No, I wasn't. I've, both of my sisters have been alive at this point for a bit. For for quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, eighth grade. What is that? The third grade? Eighth grade. No, not eighth grade. Eight years old. I was second in the grade? Eight, I'm a smart guy. First or second grade, I believe. Um, Probably. Yeah, that seems about right. Any memories? Other nope. than getting bullied? Nope. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that. 1998, I started kindergarten. We weren't in 1998. We're in 1997. 1997, I started kindergarten. <laughs> um, yep, that was the thing that happened. I got. I think I got bullied for like the first time in kindergarten. Like oh. the first time I really remember getting bullied. Mm. It was a kid named Chaz. Uh, he was. He he ended up like you know we were in kindergarten. We were stupid little kids, but he turned. <laughs> I went through a face turn with him uh, when my dad dropped me off to school. While riding his motorcycle. Uh, he's I like, oh, that kid's cool. Yep, yep. So he, he thought it was really cool that my dad and I drove, drove, in, drove in on a motorcycle. And, uh, you know, he turned. <laughs> and uh, he, he was a pretty cool guy, him and his sister. They were good oh, people. Nice. Chaz turned out to be a cool guy. I wonder if he's a, a, a child named Chucky now. Uh, well, he went by Charles uh, when, when we grew up. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember when he was a kid, he was Chaz, and now he's Charles. Okay. Shout out to fair. Charles. Hey, Charles. Also, uh, I finally did some research to look up, like, world events that happened mm -hmm. uh, in 97. And, like, the biggest news story was uh, Princess Diana died. Oh. Uh, I don't remember it happening. Me neither. We should watch Spencer. Spencer just come out. Yeah. Apparently. That's, I looked it up. Apparently, it's called Spencer because that was her maiden. That's what I figured. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why is it called Spencer? Oh, it must have been her maiden name. They should have. Why didn't they just call it Diana or Princess Diana? Because... She wanted to be known as her own person and not just as the legacy of sadness. Anyway, uh, Candle in the Wind. <laughs> That's the song. Ah. It was about Princess Diana dying. Oh, okay. Elton John wrote that. Didn't know that. Yeah. She 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 went out like a candle in the wind. Oh. <laughs> we should watch Spencer. Anyway, so we're going to jump into our movies of 1997. Oh, I do want to I do want to say Happy New Year, kids. 
Welcome to 2022. How is it? I'm talking to you from 2021. So this is about five days into the new year. 25 years ago, ladies and gents, 1997 to 2022. Right? We're talking about the past from the past into your ears in the present, which is also our future. Woo! Hi, guys. It's 10 in the morning. I'm not drunk. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we're going to start off with my movie of 1997, which... Uh, <laughs> It, it was funny. We actually, we had to course correct a little bit. We thought it was one movie and then... Uh, was it funny, honey? It was funny when we finally got to this movie and I was like, yes, it's this one for sure where I could like quote every line. Like we just missed it somehow in our in our list. I think you weren't looking at direct-to-videos. That was it. It went direct-to-video. This is our... our I think our... No. Toaster might have been a direct-to-video. Mm-hmm. But this is potentially our first direct-to-video. Definitely first direct video of the 90s. Yeah. I'm still bitter about the movie that I had to watch before we watched this one. Uh, you know, we'll talk about that then. Right I don't want to. Rele- <laughs> released March 18th, 1997. Directed by Dean Cundy. Starring Eve Gordon, Stuart Pankin, Robin Bartlett, Allison Mack, Jake Richardson, Bug Hall, and Rick Moranis. That is Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Diane, something happened. Just Wayne? S- yes. Are we shrunk? I'm not going to lie to you. Yes, we are. I was at the machine, and I was just... She passed out. (laughs) She did. So, uh, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. It is a sequel to... It's a trequel. It's the second sequel to the film Honey, I Shrunk the Kids from, I think, 1989. Maybe. You know, it's kind of hard because, I'm going to be honest, I never watched that movie. Mm -hmm. I may have seen it once. When it aired on television, but mm-hmm. I've never, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'd never seen that movie all the way through. Which is interesting. Yeah, and it's a classic. People love it. And it's just like, it, it passed me by. Mm-hmm. And uh, You preferred, preferred a story about parents. Well, it's like, so it's, it's weird. After watching this movie, which is about the parents of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, getting shrunk themselves and going on a little adventure in their house, mm-hmm. right? It's like little people in their house. Right. Uh, when you go back to the first movie, it's about kids getting shrunk and just more or less hanging out in their backyard. Yeah. And it was like, we got to get from the backyard back to the house, right? Mm-hmm. And like, when you go from a movie where it's like set in the house, where a lot of kids spend their time and you actually like get to see like, you know, experience your household, you know, from a very small perspective. Three quarters of an inch. Imagine then going back and going like expecting to watch people just like it's one environment. It's mm-hmm. the yard. It's grass and ants. Right. For two hours. You know, it just didn't it didn't appeal to me. It was like, you know, you're, you're taking a step back. Huh? The only thing that like seemed at least interesting was when they get back to the house and there's a kid in a cereal bowl. <laughs> Cheerios. I can't remember the movie fully. It's It's been a while, but I remember really enjoying it. I, I like the outside, which is interesting because I definitely was an indoor dweller as a child. But I like the outside element of it and just kind of like, this is an adventure in your backyard. It's a jungle out there. And our grass in our backyard was always like knee high. So it was always a jungle. I'm sure it's good. I'm sure if we go back, it would be like a little charming movie. But mm. it's, that's just how it was as a kid. Yeah. This, this movie, which is the second sequel, like penetrated my life you know did you watch this movie as a kid uh yeah no i totally watched this as a kid and i remember enjoying it i'm like i was trying to think back like how did how did i get this because i wouldn't have saw it in the theater it went straight to video it's like Mm -hmm. why did i not being a fan of the first movie 
why did I feel like I wanted to watch this this one? You know, and like it must have been Disney's like you know promotional machine mm. because they would have all of the trailers for every movie coming out before every VHS release. We watch a lot of movies on VHS, right? So they probably had Honey We Shrunk Ourselves uh, advertised on VHS tapes that we did own. Because I remember, there are lines from this movie that I only really remember because of the advertising, <laughs> you know? So, Disney, it worked. I mean... It indoctrinated me. Disney knows what they're doing as the overlords. Also, spoiler alert, uh, and this is like a stealth double Disney episode of Media Made, too. Your movie is Because also. Disney now owns everything. Well, no, no, your movie was... was le- distributed. Le- it was legitimately distributed by Disney. Uh, yep, so same players involved, as always. Hey! As always. Nothing anyway, new under the sun. Let's talk about this movie. Okay. And how it was made. So as I said, 1989 saw the release of Disney-produced sci-fi comedy, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was an unexpected financial success, becoming the highest-grossing live-action Disney film ever. At the time of its release. Like, up to that point. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, considering, you know, they had things like Homeward Bound (sighs) and the computer wore tennis shoes. Oh, what? Really? (laughs) All that garbage that you see on Disney Plus. Homeward Bound is garbage? Well, well, sorry, Homeward Bound came out after this. I'm I'm confused. Homeward Bound came out before this. No, no. Homeward Bound 2. No, no, Homeward Bound came out in 93. We're talking about 1989's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, right, right, right. Sorry. Anyway, maybe Homeward Bound outsold it? I don't know. Uh, Either way, over the next decade, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was expanded into a multimedia franchise, including sequels and various theme park attractions. I specifically remember going to Disneyland and going to Honey, We Shrunk the Audience. Yeah. Which was like a a little 4D... Stage show where right. you go and sit down and they like jungle you around, jungle, jangle, jangle, <laughs> jangle you around, and jingle you all the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the film's first sequel, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, released in 1992. Uh, that one I remember only attempting to watch that movie one time. Mm. Like I remember, I remember maybe catching it on TV, and I remember the big kid like destroying. Uh, Las Vegas, right? And he like destroys like the cowboy, the neon cowboy, mm-hmm. like goes like this. <laughs> um, I remember that scene, but I remember like being a fan of Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, mm-hmm. and then attempting to watch Honey, I Blew Up the Kid on TV, and it was just boring. It's just like I don't care. I don't care about this baby. Yeah, this is dumb. I'm out of here. I think I last time I watched Honey, We Blew Up the Kid, I Blew Up the Kid was when I was in Vegas with my family as a child. <laughs> they were playing it. It's, I mean, it's, it's like one of the few, like, well, I guess not few, but it's like a very, like, quintessential, like, kids Las Vegas movie. Yeah. You know, they don't get a lot of those. Kids Ve- Vegas movies. It's true. You they, know what? I think I watched um, Chanticleer as well. Which one was that? The one with the, the talking, ro- the Don Bluth. Oh, 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 oh. Chanticleer. Oh. What is that movie called? Uh, Rock-a-doodle. 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 Shout out to Rock-a-doodle. Um, so, uh, though less impressive than the original, Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, Box Off Returns, Proved successful. Nice. So it was, it was also pretty good. Uh, production then began on a second sequel intended for theaters with the target release date of December 1996. Mm. Screenwriter Carrie Kirkpatrick, who was working on James and the Giant Peach for Disney at the time, was tasked with writing the screenplay. Okay. The finished script was sent to Disney studio chief and petty a-hole, <sighs> Jeffrey Katzenberg. Welcome back to the show. Who decided that the studio did not want to continue with the film. He read the mm. script and was like, no, thank you. 
That sounds, that's, that's a Whoa. real cat. He pulled a real Katzenberg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was thus shelled for a few months while Kirkpatrick resumed work on James and the Giant Peach. Mm. Uh, Katzenberg eventually changed his mind once Disney saw the success of the direct-to-video sequels to its animated features, such as Aladdin, The Return of Jafar, and Aladdin, The King of Thieves. Ah. Um, so Disney reportedly wanted to test how live-action sequels would do, so they picked up Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves uh, to be their first live-action direct-to-video movie. Okay. <laughs> they already had the script laying around. Why not? Yeah. Uh, fitting with the theme of the films, Kirkpatrick's screenplay was shrunk in size Boo. to accommodate the direct-to-video format. Reportedly, one cut scene involved the group of uh, shrunken parents falling into an aquarium. And being eaten by a fish? I guess. It was like replaced with there's a bubble machine scene where they ride bubbles uh, down the stairs. Maybe they dove into an aquarium. It's better than Jonah and fishing it. Other cost-cutting measures were made to the film's visual effects and scope. Uh, the studio decided to use television resolution to save money on visual effects. So that's why it looks like crap even to today. Well, it, it was, by the way, some of those visual effects are real rough. Yeah, they, like it looks like they just like made some kind of like two D asset, like a, like a oh yeah, like a thumbnail size like little two D asset, and then yeah. turned it up. Like yeah. or they, they uh, scaled it up, so it's like really blurry nonsense on the screen <laughs> to represent like you know here's a daddy long legs, <laughs> here's a tiki man. Oh, the thing, the Tiki Man. Yeah. Here's a giant Tiki Man. It looks like crap. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. They tried their mediums. And while the original script included an out-of-control teen party of around 150 kids, uh, the party in the final film featured only nine kids to be more cost-effective. Okay, can I, like, be honest? When the party turned out to only be nine kids, my brain remembered it being way more. No, I, I don't remember it being like out I, of control. I, I don't remember it. Like something like they, they were going for something like say anything where it's just like a big teen party. Yeah, I think like I remember it being bigger than it was. But I also remember them being actual teens and not literal prepubescent children. Yeah, they're preteens. A lot of preteens. Young Mila Kunis. This is like her one of her first Very film young. roles. Yes. I don't know, man. I had I had like like hanging out parties, like not even parties, like, you know, hanging out with your friends on a Friday night, sleeping over at your mm -hmm. friend's house, like the size of this. Yeah, no, I totally yeah, like I yeah. think it makes sense for the age group and stuff. I'm just saying like when we were watching it, I was like, I remember this differently. I remember not like, saying it's worse. I was just like, oh, this this that's not how I remember. I remember going is like go to my friend Brandon's house, five of his friends and then his step his step brothers and sisters his sister and her friends that were all just hanging out, you know, <laughs> like hey, that's what this was. Uh, anyway, to increase the film's budget, per <laughs> this is this is like hilarious to me, by the way. To increase the film's budget, production designer Carol Winstead Wood worked with the show's property master to find companies that would agree to have their products featured in the film. This, like, I always thought, like, there's no way product placement can like really like you, there's no exchange of money right mm -hmm. with product placement no, no there, there totally was is. yep they sought out companies to advertise in their film cheerios so the film featured product logos for tricks cereal lays coca-cola tostitos skippy peanut butter street sharks hot wheels sports illustrated sony osco minute Maid, and honey nut cheerios yep Wait, but what about some sour cream dip? That was that, that, that was probably in there too. I don't know what Osco. the logo was. <laughs> Cha-ching! <laughs> that was like wow, and they just they're they're proud of it. 
Yeah. Wait, I have a I have a, a a quote here from Winstead Wood. She said, "As a film designer, we try to avoid having our films look like a commercial. However, this script was ideally suited for product placement. My original budget was not over two hundred and fifty thousand. These companies helped to increase the art department's budget and gave me the opportunity to put more production value on screen. Isn't it crazy that you work at Disney and the arts are still underfunded? Yeah. Well, th- this was meant to be like a lower scale I thing. Get and it. these artists were like, well, we want to make the best thing we can. What can we do? Shove in the product placement. Right? They're like, hey, this is going on my portfolio. Could could we try a l- little harder? No. Find money by fundraising. That's my Katzenberg voice. Fine. <laughs> you got to sound more like sleazy. Find more by fundraising. <laughs> I don't know. It does like you shrunk him. <laughs> Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves was directed by Dean Cundy, who is a veteran cinematographer. Huh. This was his first directorial film. I mean, that makes sense. I think some of the, the set design and stuff, like, he, he used it very well. Yeah, yeah. He, he used the frame. Yeah. He has, a, he has an artist's eye mm. for this stuff. Anyway, he had, like I said, he, he was prolific as a cinematographer. He had credits, including the Back to the Future films, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Hook, and many more. I've never heard of any of those movies. Any, anything that ties all those films together? Nope. <laughs> They've all been featured on our sh- podcast. What? These are all media-made films. Uh, so Are these feature thing? future things? I don't remember these. No, stop that. <laughs> After some time, anyway, stop. if you want to talk about any... If you want to hear us talk about any of those films, you can go back to our you know past catalog and hear us talk about those things. But yeah, yeah. Dean Cundy, shout-outs to you. You've been like an unsung hero for media made this whole time. We didn't even notice. No. Props to you. We will give you an award at our next QQs. Probably not. Don't bet on that. Uh, Rick Moranis was the only actor from the first two films to reprise his role as scientist Wayne Selinsky. Yeah, I feel like people would notice. Uh, Marcia Strassman, who portrayed Diane uh, Selinsky in the first two films, did not return and was replaced by Eve Gordon, Amy O'Neill, and Robert Olivier, or Oliveri. Robert Oliveri. I have no idea. Uh, who had previously played Wayne's children, Amy and Nick, had quit acting by the time the film was released. Their characters are only mentioned in a conversation in this film. Yes. A conversation I definitely didn't miss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Wayne's youngest son, Adam, was aged up with Bug Hall cast in the part. Yes. And he's little Alfalfa. Is that right? Yes. Alfalfa. He's in love with Darla. His name is Bug in real life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that is Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Yeah. And it was it was released and we watched it. I we watched did. this movie a ton with my cousin. <laughs> my cousin, when we were little, I've mentioned this on the show before. Anytime he visited our house, there were like maybe just a handful of VHS tapes that he insisted on watching. Right. It was like these particular ones. And this was one of them. It was like yeah. this. Free or, Willy. No, not Free Willy. Uh, uh, the fifth Land Before Time film. The mm-hmm. one on T-Rex Island. Right. And like a Power Rangers in space VHS like TV movie type thing. Right. Glad we don't have to do that to ourselves. Glad you're not going to do that to wife. <laughs> We've already talked Power Rangers before. <laughs> you're right. So that is the making? Yeah. Wow, that was a very high-pitched sound. Let's try that again. So that was the making? <laughs> we didn't talk about it. Like wh- th- This movie, the premise is very simple. Mm-hmm. A group of parents, like the parents from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, or mainly like the, the dad and right. the wife and his, Uncle and, his and yeah, and his brother and his brother's wife all get shrunk down. They're the ones who are shrunk and the kids 
uh, ha- think they have the house themselves. Correct. So it's about the parents trying to get themselves be- to become big again. <laughs> to unshrunk themselves. And uh, the kids, this film is honestly like, you, you coined the term in our 96 movie episode, but this is a kids in cahoots movie. <laughs> <laughs> kids, like Home Alone is a kid in cahoot movie. <laughs> it's, it's not unlike House Arrest yeah. from 96, which is your film. Yeah. Like it's, except instead of parents locked in the basement trying to escape, it's parents shrunk down to little size and trying to get big again. And then the kids in the house have the house to themselves and they do wacky antics. Wacky indeed. These were less wacky, I think. It, it was more believable antics than the ones in, uh, at least, I don't know, maybe more um, pleasant to watch than the ones from House Arrest. That's because they didn't make food. They did make food. There is a messy scene in this movie. They make a volcano. Oh, yeah. Chili. They make a chili volcano and make a mess. But this is like one scene and it's really not that bad. Yeah. And the little, little, little Adam sings a song about gopher guts. <laughs> yes. It's like, that's the extent of the gross out humor in this film. Other than that, it's just like teen stuff. Teen drama. There's a roach motel. There's a roach motel. But that's, what, when, that's when they're little. Huh? Let's break into the movie because okay. you, you, you want to talk about their their shrunken antics. Oh, okay, right. Sorry, I forgot. I was I was talking about the gross things because I was like, what was the thing that you disliked? Yeah, there are there it? there's a few gross things, especially when they're tiny. Um, but yeah, so let's meet our characters. Uh, who do you want to talk about first? We should probably talk about Rick Moranis, right? Let's talk about his wife. No, no. Let's talk about Rick Moranis. <laughs> How dare you? I know I asked you a question. No, but I, I'm I not going to respond to anything mind. else. So you got Rick Moranis playing Wayne Zielinski and his little son, Adam. Okay, then it's settled. I'll pack it up this weekend and your movers will come on Monday and take it to Washington. Oh, by the way, feel free to use it to shrink the national debt. (laughs) Hello? Hello? How do you like that? Your dad's invention is going to be in the Smithsonian alongside the gramophone. What's a gramophone? An early record player. What's a record player? An early CD player. So I think that's what I learned what a gramophone was. <laughs> <laughs> so it's he, a phone that your grandma uses. So this film does have a bit of continuity from the first two. It's like he he's, he made this shrinking machine and the government said, don't use this. <laughs> so he's donating it to the Smithsonian to be put on display. It's a terrible idea. And so I, he's, That's he's, too much power to give our government. And he's packing it up. Like uh, you, you see boxes in the backyard. And right, he's, he's got it all shined up and ready to go. And his little his little boy Adam, who was blew up in Las Vegas, right, is now a tween boy with no stretch marks because he got blown up and then shrunk again. I hope Laughing. he ha- he has no brain damage or anything, right? No, no log lasting damage. He seems like I a well adjusted young boy. He's got some damage. He wants to play baseball. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and then you you want to talk about his wife? So him and it. Well, so Wayne's wife, Diane, and her sister-in-law, mm-hmm. Patty, what do they have planned? A vacation, a weekend away from their children. I'm sorry. Hi, Adam. <clears throat> Diane, we have to talk. I'm still worried about the kids if we go away. No, they are not old enough to, to stay by themselves. And what if Mitch gets sick? We've been over this. If anything goes wrong, our husbands will be there. My point exactly. Patty? Don't start with me. We both need this vacation. You are more neurotic than ever. Diane, there are like four scenes featuring Diane at the start of this film. She uh, she doesn't talk about anything else but the vacation. <laughs> she really wants the vacation. Yeah, and the movie it's makes very you, important to her. They make you, you know, they make sure that you know 
She wants to go on a vacation. Right. It's all she talks about. She ignores what she, her, her kid just wants some peanut butter. Her kid just wants lunch for, for school. And she like is ignoring everything he's saying. Just like, I got I have some vacation. Vacation. I, that's, that could be real. Coming from a person who doesn't have kids. I do know a parent or two that are like, I need to get out of this house before I do harm to this child that doesn't deserve it. I'm stressed. She's stressed out. Like, I get it. <laughs> But her character, like, especially at the start of this film, just to be like, is like naggy and I want to go on this vacation. Yeah, she's very dismissive at the beginning. I was like, when we were rewatching it, I was paying attention, but I was also doing something else. But like, she was rubbing me the wrong way. I was like, your child is asking for food and you're just on the phone the whole time. I have a clip called Rude Mom. Yeah, this house is driving me crazy. I really need this vacation. Mom, we're out of peanut butter. It looks so peaceful. I said we're out of peanut butter. Don't complain to me. Talk to your father. You know, he's in charge of household legumes. I don't even know what she says there. I still don't know. Household maintenance? Household. She's in charge of house... household something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but it was like, that's really rude, mom. Yeah. Don't complain to me. I was like, you're my mom. And you're in the kitchen. Help me. <laughs> this poor boy has to cook, like bring uncooked noodles to school to eat. That is That is what he does. Um, How's so, he gonna open that? I don't know, but so that's the premise: is uh, the moms are heading out on vacation for the weekend to leave their kids and their husbands yes. behind. Uh, who do you want to meet next? The kids or Wayne's brother Gordon? Let's meet Gordon. That was the president, and my brother, Wayne Zelensky. And what a speech! Hmm? Anyway, I'll bet you're all hungry. So we have a full buffet brunch waiting for you right downstairs. Eat all you want. And thanks for coming. <laughs> and don't forget, at Zelinsky Labs, the future is now. That scene takes place at like Zelinsky uh, Labs. Zelinsky Labs, which is uh, Wayne's company, where they develop uh, technology. And they're like they're doing some like investor presentation, right? And this scene I think is meant to show that Wayne is horrible at business. Yeah, like he's a science guy. He needs to be in the lab, where his brother Gordon is. You know, much well, better at pleasing people. He's well spoken. He's charismatic, and uh, he's not su- he's not well suited for the science stuff. No, they complement each other. You see? Yeah. What was Gordon in any of the other movies? I have no idea. This movie makes it seem like Gordon has always been there. Well, he ha- he's a big brother, so technically he has. Yeah, it's just like, so in my head, having watched this movie before attempting to watch the other ones, I thought Gordon was just always there. Uh. He was a character in the other movies, but I don't think that's true. Uh, you want me to Google it? I-, I tried to look it up. Yeah, I think Gordon is a brand new character for this movie. But and we should just know that he's supposed to be there. He's always been there. He's always been there. And he's a good He's a good brother. He's a brother. <laughs> I think he's a good brother. Yeah, he only he's tries a to brother. choke out Wayne once after he gets shrunk, which yeah. is you know a, a valid response. He's a good climber. <laughs> he is a good climber. <laughs> uh, and we also meet the kids that morning. Uh, you got you got three kids. You got Adam, which we we talked about, mm-hmm. and then Patty and Gordon's kids, uh, brother and sister. You got Mitch and Jenny. Oh man, I got this great story. Okay. One time, we were at this Chinese restaurant, and I sneezed, and six strains of rice came out my nose. Oh, I've only done liquids. But once, Jane did a piece of spaghetti. Oh, man, it was like hanging out to there. Shut up, at least I'm not sick 24 hours a day. 
I can't help it if I have a potassium deficiency. Yeah, but how do you explain your IQ deficiency? Shut up! Oh. Hey! Stop it! Come on, let's get her! Come on, get her! I, I, I'm, I, I apologize that that was the scene or that was the clip I had to get to introduce the kids, but it's like that's the first scene where all three of them interact with each other. Right. And it's gross. <laughs> so I didn't like that. But they do reveal that young Mitch has a potassium deficiency, which is a plot point later yes. in the film. He, does, he needs to take his medicine, and he doesn't. And it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing, but we'll get there. We'll get to half of the thing. Half of the whole thing. So that, in addition to meeting all of our characters, the first act of this film is really just to establish the premise. It's to get all of the parents shrunk down to little size. Right. And make the kids think that they're home alone. Right. And so we, as we were watching it, I remarked, I was like, this movie, it's, it's not, it's like, I'm not like, this is no, this is no Citizen Kane here. Okay. This is not like the greatest screenplay ever written or anything. Have you ever seen Citizen Kane? It's, it, it's one of the best films ever made. But have you ever seen it? So, so what you I'm saying say it's not Citizen Kane. It could be the same thing. So what I'm saying is the movie does like the screenplay, I think, is better than I expected it was going to be. Right. At like basically establishing things early in the film that get paid off later. Yeah. You know, it's it's not lazy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I think it, it's effective. What they do is like they set up some things early in the film that seem like little cutaway things, but they end up being important for establishing the premise, which is making the kids think that their parents have gone away for the weekend and they have the house to themselves. Right. It's definitely not a home alone situation. Home alone is like a masterclass at like making sure that everything that could go wrong goes wrong. So that little Macaulay Culkin thinks that he's home alone. Right. right. Or he is home. He alone. is home alone. Yeah. So, you know, that movie has like 20 different throwaway lines where it's like, Oh, the power goes out, you know? Oh, mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, they little, little, uh, what's the kid? What, what's Macaulay Culkin's character? McAllister, Kevin McAllister. Kevin, Kevin McAllister has to sleep upstairs. Mm-hmm. The alarms don't go. All these little things have to happen so that the McAllisters right. leave their son behind, right? Right. This movie is similar, not as good, <laughs> but there there was effort put in for yeah. the screenplay to make sure that the kids, like, full everything was thought of. Like, the kids think, okay, all of our parents are gone. Mm-hmm. I think like they they did a really good job because they didn't just say, well, this is a movie for children, so we it doesn't we don't have to fill in the gaps like they did. Like we weren't sitting there like, but why and how come and what for? You know, right? So after the film introduces all the characters, uh, moms head off on their vacation. They leave their their husbands and their kids behind. This is it. Two days without mommies. It will be hard. It will be tough but I have every confidence you'll make it if you follow these rules. One, don't raid the refrigerator between meals. Two, take your vitamins after dinner. Three, no rollerblading in the house. Four, get rid of the tiki man. Got it? Any other questions? Uh, yeah, can I have some friends over? No. Come on, Mom, don't you trust me? Save it for the debating team, Jenny. The answer is still no. But Mom, I... Any other questions? Good, bye kids, I love you. (laughs) Bye kids, I love you. Uh, a few things in that clip. Uh, the first one, which you're probably thinking, what the heck is she talking about when he says, get rid of the Tiki Man? <laughs> what is the Tiki Man? The Tiki Man is a source of... Um, contention. Contention in this in this family. In this in this family. The Tiki Man, I, I don't know if it was in other movies. I don't know. Movies. I can, like, if it, if it wasn't featured in those other two Honey movies, like... Where did this idea come from? <laughs> it is a large P- Polynesian like tiki head. statue. Tiki head statue. Yeah. 
It's, I was going to say taller than him, but that's not very big of a stretch. But it, it's, it's like nine least, feet tall. Yeah, it's 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 filling the archway of their home. And it clashes with the decor that Diane's got going on. So she would like it gone. Thank you very much. And she thinks it's ugly and it just takes up so much space. And Rick Miranda, like she goes, I don't even know how you got that thing in the first place. Like Just to have some fun. So Diane does not support her husband's uh, fun passions. I'm just saying, if you got a wax doll, life-size doll of anything that you liked, <laughs> we would also have the same contention. Absolutely not. They should have talked about it first. Absolutely like, ho- not. Ho- hopefully, hopefully Wayne If asked. I walked in and there was a big old Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I don't want Hulk Hogan here. A life-size Hulk Hogan. I would retaliate in ways... I was like, oh, you can get a life-size man for this house? Then I will, too. Equally racist. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So, anyway, Wayne has the the grand plan to, while Diana's away, get rid of the Tiki Man without really getting rid of the Tiki Man. And, like, this is lame. This is really lame. Mm. But that's... As a husband or as a plot point? As a plot point. Got it. This is why they turn on the shrinking machine Mm -hmm. to get rid of the Tiki Man. They, they, him and Gordon haul this thing upstairs while they, they send the kids off to the store. Right. They haul up the Tiki Man and they intend to shrink it. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. The machine looks beautiful. Yeah. I got it out of mothballs and polished it up for the Smithsonian. I'm going to fire it up. Great. What? Oh, no, no, no. You're not going to start it up again. You can't start it up again. You were banned from using this by a joint committee of the FDA and your wife. Is the FDA here? Is my wife here? I've made up my mind. I'm going to shrink that tiki, man, so I can carry it with me always. Besides, it's a point of honor. I'm going to shrink down that tiki, man, so I can carry it with me always. It's a point of honor. I have thoughts about that. What are your thoughts? What is the point of honor? I'm I'm not saying that I need to understand his points of honor, but if he thought it was a point of honor, why was that not a discussion with his wife? I don't know. It's not a point of honor. I think it's a just it's my a wife can't thing. tell me what to do. Yeah, like and that this this is the movie trying to establish Wayne's character flaws here. It's like he doesn't he doesn't care about his. I don't know. He's not listening. He's not paying attention to his wife or his child's needs. I guess you it's know. science over everything. Yeah, <laughs> silly. It's very silly. So the plot happens mm-hmm. while they they shrink the tiki man down. <laughs> this is so stupid. It's like to get the parents shrunk, they have to they have to shrink a giant tiki man. Right. I anyway, mean- they shrink the tiki man down. They're trying to find it on the grate where they've shrunk it down in the attic, and. You know, a contrivance happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 machine, the shrinking machine, as it's shaking the house, ends up dislodging some like croquette uh, balls, some croquet balls or uh, uh, pool balls that fall down from the attic and hit the button that shrinks. Yeah, and they get shrunk because mm-hmm. they're standing there looking at the the tiki man. Right, but that's only half the parents. Mm-hmm. You got Wayne and Gordon; they're shrunk. How do you get the moms also shrunk? Well, they have to turn around. Why? Because, and this is another one of those contrivances, uh, Patty left her son Mitch's medicine. In like, her purse. In her purse. So she has, they, they have to come back home to, 
to to drop the medicine back off. Mm-hmm. And this is another one where it's just like, what, what? I get it. You have to get all the parents in the attic. Mm-hmm. You, ha- you have to make it happen so that, you know, the plot can happen. Right. But, like, they leave the medicine on the counter, you know, and, and the house, everyone's gone. The kids went to the store. The husbands are tiny upstairs. Right. <laughs> so they're like, oh, they can hear the machinery upstairs. Like, oh, the, the husband, they might be working upstairs. Let's see what they do. <laughs> I'm like, okay. They must be working up there with the kids because I don't see kids either. Let's see what they got up to in the t- 10 minutes we've been gone. That's, you know, it's like very, that seemed very lazy. It's mm. like, let's get up there. <laughs> and so they go upstairs and the exact same thing happens. A pool ball dislodges from the attic, like, you know, the rafters or whatever, mm-hmm. falls on the button that shrinks people and they Just get as, shrunk. Yep. And hooray, they shrunk themselves. Not hooray. That's the movie. Hooray. Boo. But surely the kids will notice something's wrong. Like, even if they didn't expect to see the car because their parents, their moms drove off, like, they know their dads are supposed to be there. And that is one uh, an element of the film I do want to praise, right? Those are the lame contrivances to get mm-hmm. the parents shrunk down. I do have to say, this movie does have the screenplay does a pretty good job of from the, from a few things setting it up like setting things up to make the kids realize that they are home alone think that they're home alone right i have two examples of how this movie makes it makes the kids think that they are home alone well they don't expect their moms to be there obviously right the moms but, have gone off on vacation but the moms came back so the car's in the driveway so obviously but so obviously they would see the car there and know that their moms had returned for some reason. Yeah, but they're, if they're the, the moms say like, oh, yeah, they'll see the car in the driveway. Yeah, they'll be you know, they'll 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 think they'll know we're home and something's wrong. But the movie set this up earlier where um, when Patty, Patty, Polly, Patty, 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 when Patty shows up to drop the kids off before school. Was yeah, it? before school. Yeah, because yeah, they yeah. went to school first before school. And um, she's having some car problems. Oh, Patty, what's with the blocks? Oh, the car was making funny noises this morning, and you can never be too careful. I mean, what if the parking brake went? I worry about these things. That's why you need a vacation. Diane with that vacation again. Yo, vacations are important for mental well, health. This scene, though, does have two... It does two things. One, it, it like we said, it establishes that, oh, Patty's got some car problems. Mm-hmm. Her brakes are broken. Right. Two, um, uh, Patty is neurotic. Right. And worrisome, and she she is overprotective and worries about her kids too much, and that's why she insists on going back to the house in the first place to drop off Mitch's medicine. Yeah, even... Also, he'll die. Yeah. You know? <laughs> even before that, she was, like, dropping off the kids, checking with everything, and she's like, I feel like I'm forgetting something. I feel like I'm forgetting something. I can't... And Diana was like, you're forgetting that we have to go on vacation. Get in the car. And then she's in the car and realizes, oh! I knew I was forgetting something, and it's the medicine, so she has to return. Right. And so the parking brake point detail pays off where uh, the parents are looking out the window as little tiny people, and they see the the car in the driveway, and they're like, uh-oh, the br- she didn't put the blocks under the car right. this time. It's my car. Hey. Hey, the kids will see it and know we're here. That's right. They're smart. They'll figure it out. So we're saved. Yes. I told you everything would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to put the blocks in. 
I forgot to put the blocks in. <laughs> I remember that line so vividly from from when I watched it as a kid. I don't know why. There were there were cars in my neighborhood that blocks under their tires, and I now know why. They were sitting on blocks. Oh wait, no, that's a different thing. <laughs> yeah, and so that also so the car slides out of the driving driving lot parking lot driveway driveway the car rolls backwards out of the driveway and into the driveway across the street for a car that for a house that has a for sale sign up yes and that was another great detail so now you've got patty's car sitting in the driveway of a house that's for sale so no one's gonna you know question that you know like oh why is this strange car in my driveway nope no one's at that house so i was like that was clever screenwriting as well so kids get home from the the store the errand they were sent on on a wild goose chase mom's cars aren't there as far as they're concerned moms are off on vacation right same as always but mm-hmm. what what about the, the dads well uh in line with wayne's character <laughs> a forgetful man a forgetful man earlier in the movie he had called home to tell his wife that he had just gotten invited to do something this evening when his wife is supposed to be away and it goes it goes straight to voice it goes to voicemail because it wasn't picked up quick enough but so the first part of the message was recorded and then diane picked up the phone so the end conclusion was not on the voicemail machine hi you have reached the Zelensky machine please leave a message a fax or a binary file after the beep guess what change of plans gordon and i just got invited to see the space shuttle land tonight so if it's okay we're gonna take off no wayne it is not okay Patty and I are going on vacation. I must have told you this 15 times. Don't you remember? Sure I remembered. Then I forgot. Well, listen to me now. Wayne, and listen good. I am going on this vacation, and nothing and no one can stop me! (laughs) She's so passionate about this vacation. Yo, vacations are important. (laughs) So, yes. Especially when you're married to this kind of man. I'm going to say, I, I can be a forgetful husband sometimes. It happens. You forget what your plans are. And, like, you know, it's important to say, hey, not not tell her, hey, I'm, I'm going to the space shuttle tonight. It's sort of like ask her, hey, do we have plans tonight? Do we have plans this weekend? <laughs> is that is but, that how this works? But he is obviously not a husband that's concerned about any of that. He's too forgetful. No, he's Neg- inconsiderate. Neglectful. <laughs> he's inconsiderate. Inconceivable. That's a different man. That's a different man. They look the same, though. No, they don't. <laughs> I used to get them confused as a kid. You're strange. Wallace Shawn, Rick Moranis. Incorrect. Were they ever in a movie together? That's the question. Probably. I'll got to look that up later. Anyway, so that answering machine call, like the, the recording, gets saved to the, the, the answer answering machine. machine. Um, if you don't know how answering machines work, kids, you're too young. <laughs> so when the kids get home from the store and their dads are also gone. They're like, what's going on? Dad, where's dad? What's happening? They don't seem to be here. That's weird. I gotta make a phone call. Oh, hey, look, just left a message. Guess what? Change of plans. Gordon and I just got invited to see the space shuttle land tonight. So if it's okay, we're gonna take off. If that's okay, they wouldn't just take off. That's right, they wouldn't. Oh, hey, look, $40 for pizza. They must really be gone then. Yeah. So what now? The twenty dollars was put there by mom before she left. <laughs> yep. And so the kids just hadn't seen it yet, and so they assume, well, dad's gone. They went to go see the shuttle land tonight. I want pizza tonight. Okay. Oh, I'm cooking. Do you want a like a chili volcano? 
<laughs> so not you know again i didn't this is this is no uh like you know classic citizen kane? This, is, this is no citizen kane or anything you don't know that <laughs> um but i do admire the effort put into this screenplay where at least yeah. they they thought through some things to make sure that the audience like didn't second guess why are these kids like so accepting of their parents just disappearing right. all of a sudden you know it's like you know thought was put in adequate thought was put in this is i think an acceptable screenplay yeah yeah more than i expected i went into this movie not expecting this smart of you know a, a premise here yeah obviously the, it the, holds t- up very well. the tiki man nonsense <sighs> is a little dumb yo but it's not lazy that's true they do a good job because you know they were like we're making a movie for kids but that doesn't mean that it needs to be stupid. <laughs> it's just a little stupid. Yeah. It's silly. It's not stupid. Yeah. 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 yeah I think that's, a, that's there's a, a difference. There's a difference. That's fair. So uh, from here, the movie like really starts to get up. The next two acts, it's like you have two sides of the movie. You've got the parents subplot where the parents are little tiny people and they have to like, you know, uh, like uh, navigate their, their home mm-hmm. and get downstairs so that they can convince like, they basically, like, get the kids' attention so that they can become big again. Right. And then you have the kids' subplot, which are the kids, uh, you know... Being kids. Indul- indulging in living, you know, without parents. Making a mess. Having a party with friends. Uh, they do- Jenny does have a party. She does. So I'm at my uncle's house on Echo Lane. Yes, the one with the weirdo mailbox. So, guess what? My parents are out of town for a whole weekend, and we have the house all to ourselves. So I think I'm going to throw a party. Oh, my God. A party? Wait, it's like barely a party. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's more of a gathering. It's a slumber party. I guess it's a party. I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, so I think the thing, the sub, like, obviously the kids stuff we'll talk about a little later. Okay. Uh, but the, the, the bulk of the movie is, honey, we shrunk ourselves. Right. It is the four parents basically moving through their house. Trying to get, you know, trying to get downstairs. This title is incorrect. Honey, I shrunk us. Honey, my fault. This was not a wee thing. Honey, the attic shrunk us. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Honey, the Tiki Man shrunk us. Honey, have you seen (laughs) (laughs) Ant-Man? It's a lot like Ant-Man. Like, Mm. I feel like Ant-Man... The comics, I think, came before this show. Oh, of course. But I'm talking like the... I feel like the movie Ant-Man, like, uh, capitalizes on the same... I don't know, like... Uh, imaginary ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you imagine what it would be like to like be on our table here and like to, you know, walk across this table and you're real tiny. You oh know, no, what... <laughs> our what... table. What would the world be like if you were like really small? You know, so like normal size things are not huge. Yeah. So the first movie did that, but it was mostly you know isolated to the backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this movie, it's like household stuff. Right. They start in the attic. They work their way downstairs. And there are they. This is why I like this movie, and probably the why it appealed to me so much as a kid, is because they they got a lot of mileage out of just household adventures. Yeah, being little tiny people in your in your house, mm-hmm. everything from your kid's bedroom to the stairway, the hallway, the kitchen, the living room. It's they, like it's all there. Right. I rather I would rather watch little people navigate those areas than the, just the backyard. Have you ever seen the borrowers? That'd be right up your alley. I'm going to write that down as something to watch. But you're right. Like, 
it's such an interesting concept, like seeing the world that we always see just different. So it's like a childlike, you know, fantasy that you got to live out, I guess. Yeah. So it's- Ant-Man had better CG. Ant-Man did have better CG. And there are <laughs> Made so- by Disney still. It, it is. <laughs> I, I can make some comparisons to Ant-Man here with some of these sequences, honestly. So, like, name, name. let's let's go through a few of them. What what do the parents go through to get downstairs? Okay. Do you want the, the times they should have died or just the fun things? Uh, whatever comes to mind. I don't know if you have a clip for this, but at some point, uh, they climb a wicker chair. And that is how we know Gordon is the best climber. Yes, yes. They they climb a wicker chair to get out of the the the, the attic. Yes. They need and, to get to the windowsill in the attic. And that's how they see that the car has gone bye-bye. Um but from there they use a fishing wire to lower themselves into a room under the attic. A- Adam's room. Yeah, that's true. And there's no reason for them to come up here. So we got to get to them. Oh, how? We'll never get down the stairs alive. Well, the fastest way is to go straight out the window and into Adam's room. You know what we can do? Gordon, I'm the inventor here. Can I figure this out? The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. If I had some sort of cable, a pulley system that I could use to transport us down. Wayne! What? How about something like a fishing reel? Fishing reel. Fishing reel. Fishing rod. So they have a fish like a fishing reel with a with a a lure on it. Right. And they ride the lure down from the attic window to Adam's window. And a cat sees it, jumps on the that, that roof, doesn't, that does not happen. and bats it sideways. That could have happened. But and a doesn't. bird comes, swoops in, and eats them. There are many risks they took to do this, <laughs> but none of those things happened. <coughs> they made it, like, there's one point where, like, they're going down very slowly. But mm. I was just like, they didn't think this thing through. Like, no. they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like they're gonna die. There's only one scientist here, and he's not a physics physicist, physiologist. He might be. That's fair. We don't know his degrees. And they, 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 they. At first, they're going down slowly, and then it just like starts unspooling, and yeah. they just like fall down all the way to Adam's windowsill. Yes. And I was like, they're dead. They're, they're dead. They're dead. They're dead. They lived. They live though. Because it's a Disney movie. <laughs> uh, what else do they do? Uh, from there, they're on the windowsill, and they have to like traverse Adam's room. Yes. And Adam, being a son of affluent people, has an extensive Hot Wheels track. Was Hot Wheels not one of the the sponsors? It was. Race Wheels track. And it was a fortuitous one because they got a lot of, pun unintended here, uh, mileage out of that Hot Wheels sponsorship. Okay, guys. Hop in. What are you doing? Going down the hall the quickest way possible. I think we can wiggle our way off the edge. Are you insane? We don't even know where this track leads. Adam's always sending his Hot Wheels out into the hall. Yeah, still, but that that, that loop-de-loop doesn't look safe to me. With our weight and velocity, I don't think it would be a problem. So, are we willing to give it a shot? This is probably the best sequence in the movie, is the Hot Wheels track. It's also the most disappointed in reality because they could have and did make a Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves ride at Disney. But it, was, it, it was wasn't like, this. It was, they, they could, uh, Disney, you're leaving money on the table here. Make a Hot Wheels, uh, you gotta get Hot Wheels money in there. But you, you get, make you a- You don't even have to, you have a Cars thing at, 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 at California Adventure. You can make a roller coaster that is just this. Disney. It's not too late. Make a miniature Honey We Shrunk Ourselves themed Hot Wheels roller coaster. 
The 4D ride wasn't even on the roller coaster. We that's want the thing this. that's just come on. We want it. But I was like, it, this is cool. This is the kind of stuff as a little kid that I would have imagined doing. Like sitting in my Hot Wheels. Mm. I never had a crazy track like Adam has. Like he's got all the fixings. <laughs> he has like the only got, son from an athlete. He's got family. the. He's got. He obviously has the orange tracks, the iconic orange tracks from Hot Wheels. But he's got like the little spinners that have the motors on mm-hmm. that zoom your your Hot Give Wheels. You a little boost. Yeah, he's got like switches and you know like different directions and he's got like 20 loop the loops and i was like that's that's hardcore <laughs> but it would have been awesome to be in a little hot wheels car and go down the track that you made you yeah know? there's um i think of forza there's a the xbox game called forza they mm-hmm. had a they had dlc that was just hot wheels themed <laughs> so you can set down and make your own tracks giant orange tracks and ride your Forza car down the Hot Wheels track, you know, so a little bit, but that would have been awesome. Yeah. If they had done something like that. Uh, so that, that scene was really fun and mm-hmm. it's not horrible. The CG in this movie is not horrible mm. considering they had a shoestring budget. Yeah. I, I think that it's aided by the fact that they had a lot of really well-made practical sets. Yes. So I, I looked it up. So there, there was some, um, like they had some specifics on what the the move like what kind of what they had to do to make the the you know the movie a reality right and the thing that really brings everything together was they did shoot a lot on green screen right. blue screen you can tell like yeah, a lot of the, the feathering par- is still there a lot of the parents are just standing a lot of the scenes the parents are just standing in front of the blue screen and the backgrounds are just projected behind them uh, but what they did was they took those scenes and married them with practical effects so. They would have real life, and they, they call them overscale props that mm-hmm. the actors could interact with in the foreground, like in the studio, right? So they have giant wicker chairs. Right. Had, they had a giant wicker chair set where the parents are climbing, yeah. right? And that wicker chair and the actors are all in front of a blue screen, and then they can, you know, composite in a background later with mm-hmm. 3D, you know, if it's 3D backgrounds or, you know, like a an unfocused shot of the house or whatever, right? So- they they for the Hot Wheels, it's a giant Hot Wheels practical car that they built. They sit it in front of a blue screen and the the actors all sit in it. And it's like, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> There's a scene where they're in a, a laundry chute. They're in the laundry basket. Mm-hmm. And they're all just in a giant set that yeah. is just fabrics yeah. that look like a giant laundry basket. It, it's good. It's good. I also read that the Film was digitally composited on three Apple Mac computers using After Images and Ultimate software at director Dean Cundy's home. Oh, wow. He did it all in his house. Well, he was a cinematographer. He like knew what he wanted it to look like in the programs to get it to look the way he needed it to. It was all then sent to DreamQuest FX, uh, which was a company for finessing. Ah. So I was like, good job, Dean Cundy. <laughs> He's the MVP. He's the MVP of Media Made. Unseen MVP. He's the best boy. No, that was a different person. <laughs> what other what other shenanigans did these parents get on? Um, well, you mentioned that they went into a laundry basket. Their uh their track switched and they went to a place they didn't mean to and they ended up in a laundry basket. No, no, no. They ended up in the chute. Laundry chute, yeah. And they ended up Dead. just <laughs> they they also should have just died yeah. right then there. But they land on, you know, ultra you know, soft fabric. You know, I was just thinking that looking at this pillow that is here on our table don't ask questions kids and i was like if i was a quarter of an inch tall 
I wouldn't want that to fall on me. I would be suffocated instantly. I wouldn't be able to move it off. Well, of it's me. sort of like giant, like landing on a giant foam like bucket, like you know, uh, or like one of those crash pads that they have in Hollywood sets. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, it'll it'll work uh, just the same if you landed on some some soft laundry. That's fair. It still would be very jarring, and even when people fall on those things, they have padding. Especially if they're from a very, very tall distance. So I'm just saying, uh, death. <laughs> they probably could have died. Probably should have died. Mm, but they didn't. They didn't. Because it's a Disney movie. And then from there, they end up back in Adam's room because uh, a notification was like, go and get your laundry, kid. And he does because he's a good little Adam. And they, they just end up right back upstairs. Yeah. Even though they, they could have been in the laundry room. Yeah. But... um. There's a, an unfortunate scene where uh, he shows a, a magazine to his cousin. <laughs> That's right. There's a whole scene where it's like, bro, I got to show you this. My parents would freak if I showed it to you. And he pulls out a magazine from... These kids are like nine. <laughs> they pull out a magazine from like his his uh, like his like sock drawer. And you're like meant to think... I, again, over my head as a kid. Right. I would have never understood what the parents were freaked out about. Right. But they're like, oh, look at that. Wow. And they find out it's just a Sports Illustrated. Yeah. <laughs> They're just excited about baseball. <laughs> and uh, Adam thinks his dad doesn't support his love of the yeah. baseball. And he was disappointed when he looked at it. <laughs> um, okay. What other shenanigans do they get? So from there, they make their way out of the bedroom since they're on the floor now. And this is where they find their way, way into an aquarium to get eaten by fish. No, no. That was cut. Oh. Then it must have been the bubbles. There, so uh, I don't have a scene of them using the bubble machine, but there's a bubble machine present in the house because of the party. Yeah. Hi, did you bring the stuff? Yeah, I got the CDs, the sour cream, and my dad's bubble machine. A bubble machine? Yeah, it's the coolest thing. The bubbles will go great with the trailers. They just set up this bubble machine, and the parents use the bubble machine to float downstairs. In a scene where it's like, no, this is the dumbest thing you could have done, you're all going to die. Yes. They should have, here's the thing. I was like, a bubble is an impenetrable thing of soap. There's no, whatever oxygen is in there is soap filled. Yeah. It's like, you're just, you're just breathing, inhaling soap fumes for like, for like, you know, five minutes. I feel like if you went, <gasps> even if you were a tiny person, you'd pop the bubble or like concave it or something, you know? Yep. So whatever, they make it to where they're going. The dads land, they, the dads, their bubble pops because they hit the chandelier and they fall into dip, onion dip, dip, baby, dip. And it's disgusting. And like the little girls are all eating chips with the dips and it, with, with dad in the dip. And, and they, they are dirty, disgusting. Like we talked about them climbing a wicker. It's covered in dust. Guys, kids. Like, look at the dust around you. I know there's dust around you. Do you see how, like, you can already see, like, the particles of those dust, even though you are a fully grown, non-shrunken being? Could you imagine being a three quarters of an inch tall? That dust, you are walking through the Sahara. <laughs> they are covered. They are filthy. Oh, I, I guarantee it, yeah. And and they, they were just in a, a bowl of food. Blech. Anyway, they get out of there, though. <laughs> clean themselves off with some wet wipes. It's not wet wipes. No. Yeah, I have one more clip of something they do here at the party uh, involved like, w when they're tiny. Like, because the mom and dads, they split up. Right. Moms go to the kitchen to try and help Mitch get his medicine. Right. 
Uh, they ride Daddy Long Legs. I don't have a clip of that, but mm-hmm. they do. They they befriend a spider. They do. Who helps them get to the count- countertop? Which and doesn't is, eat them. He doesn't eat them, even though Jess says he, he definitely most, would have. Yeah. Also, other things, scientific things. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, that, that scene I didn't like. Also, during that scene with the daddy long legs, I caught it. They they failed to composite out the blue screen at one point. <laughs> There's a little blue corner that they forgot. <laughs> one man at his home. He did a great job. Yeah, he missed. I, he probably noticed it when it was finished. And it was like, no, <laughs> it's in the movie forever. And now he's going to hear this and be like, nobody noticed, but I knew it. And now you brought it back up. It's like a boom mic in the shot. Oh, gosh. But anyway. It, and the dads, where do they go off to? They go to the speaker system in the living room that is blasting hip hop children's why, why do they want to get to the speaker? Because they want to rewire it so they can speak to the children. Unless we can make our voices full size. Well, there's got to be a way. Like, does Adam have a bullhorn or a, a, a karaoke machine? No. Hey, I got it. I can rewire the stereo so we can talk through the speakers. That would amplify our voices a hundred times. And that'll work? Sure, just slip in through the vent of the receiver and hotwire the circuits. Yeah, we have a plan. What do you think, Diane? It's a plan. It's a plan. Yeah, just hotwire the circuits of the stereo so we can talk through it. That'll work. It, I mean, it works. It works. Gordon is able to talk through the speaker and claim he's God to scare teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and that, that's that's a really cool scene, too, where little Wayne is inside the stereo. Mm-hmm. Like, so you see, like... It looks like a jungle gym or something. Like he's inside right. the little stereo and there's like wires. The and practicals are really good. Yeah. The practicals look cool. It like looks like little uh, Rick Moranis is in a giant stereo mm. system, you know, with wires and circuit boards and uh, all this crazy stuff. It, it looked cool. Yeah. And it's like that's another like I know that Disney World has a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids um, play area. Mm-hmm. It looks like a giant backyard mm-hmm. and there's like ants. Like I, we went there once and it was just like, you know, here's, you can go outside and here's a giant battery. And right. Right. Here's a giant ant thing. So it's like, cool. Imagine if it was like, they do another one. It's a play area. That's like the inside of a house <laughs> or it's like, you could play inside a giant stereo. Mm-hmm. Here's the wires that are like a ball pit. I don't know. Hurt a kid. Yeah, probably. But yeah, no fun. It, there's a lot of just like little things that are are fun about the set like even the like table slide and stuff like that but the house would be terrible to clean (laughs) it would um so that's like i I think as far as like the the little people antics go Mm -hmm. i I feel like that's the strongest stuff in the movie yeah that's why we spent most of this time talking right but we we also have to talk about um you know kids in cahoots Mm -hmm. and more specifically character development because uh i feel like the movie tries to have character development, and that's mm-hmm. where it falls short the most. Yeah. Is, like, the character arcs in this movie are very superficial and, like, poorly thought out. Yeah. Only one character gets a good character arc. Well, I guess and two. it's not the adults. It's not the adults. Young Jenny gets pretty good character development. Right. Well, I don't know. Do you want to work from, like, worst to best or best to worst? What do you want to do here? For, like, I got three characters that we could talk about for character development. Bring them up. I don't know what you want to talk about. Uh, we got Wayne, mm-hmm. who I think is the worst. Right. Second worst, or second best, if you prefer. <laughs> because all the other characters, none. No <laughs> character development. None whatsoever. Second, the spider. No. <laughs> second is Patty, 
the neurotic mom. She has a character arc. Does she? I didn't discover it until getting the clips for this show. That's interesting. Let's start with her because I don't know what that is. Least important, I guess. Yeah, so we already played some clips of her at the beginning of the movie. She is neurotic, worrisome, uh, fearful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's this little scene at the top of the stairs. (laughs) And this completes her arc. Are you going to be okay doing this? No, I've never been a very brave person. But for some reason right now, I don't know fear. One line, character <laughs> development. She's she's brave. Why did she not know fear? What happened? Oh, where the, she's got the, the mom strength. Yeah, it's like her mom, her her little boy is sick and she needs to yeah yeah to buckle up and and get downstairs to save her boy. Gosh, save my boy. She's got the mom strength. Mm-hmm. That's a real thing. That's true. But I was like, that's character development. Is it I good? Guess. Is it effective? <laughs> but it exists. Next, mm-hmm. we got Wayne and Jenny. Who you want to talk about? Uh, let's do Jenny, and then let's compare Wayne after. Okay. So Jenny, how would you describe her character at the beginning of the movie? Young. Bratty. Yes. Like, we, we heard in that scene early in the movie where it's like, Mom, can I have some friends over? No. Mom! My mom. Yeah. <laughs> and she's then, like a 13-year-old girl. Yep. And she ends up throwing this party, mm-hmm. and she's very much a little teen girl. What do little teen girls do? What do they talk about at the Boys. party? Boys. Jenny. Truth or dare. Do you love Ricky King? Oh. <laughs> Ricky King. Dare. Oh. <gasps> then you're Darren. You have to call Ricky up and tell him you think he's cute. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> she does. She does. And they they always refer to this guy as Ricky King. Ricky full King. name. There are some people that just need to be t- called by their full name. I guess that's true. I had a James King friend. Is it James King? I know a Ken French. We only ever called him Ken French. Ken French. You're Ricky King. <laughs> it has to be said that way. It's not Kenneth French. Ken French. Like Ken French. One word. Ken French. That's so, it. So, yes, uh, Jenny is very stereotypical little bratty little girl. Uh, she's obsessed with Ricky King. Mm-hmm. She loves him, apparently. And she calls him up and tells him he's cute. And Ricky King comes to the house. Hey, Jen. Hey, King. What are you doing here? Well, you said you were having a party, so we figured we'd drop by. Hi, Vince. Hi, Trey. Hey. He brings his friends along. He looks like uh, Aaron Carter. He did. He did look a bit like Aaron Carter meets Small Hanson, but Ricky, mostly Aaron. It's Ricky King's party. Come get it. <laughs> get out. Um. Right. I that like. Bleh. I was. I didn't invite you over. <laughs> I didn't invite you over. She's swooning over him. I don't care. There. I didn't invite you over. And they dance. They slow dance. It's weird. All of it's weird. But what? What is the character? How is? Where does the character development come in? Well, okay. So like earlier in the day, she was like bossing her brother and her cousin around, telling them to be her slaves, and um, telling her to like them to like. Wait on hand and foot on her friends and stuff like that. Be, wa- the- be waiters for my party. Yes. And when these boys come in, Ricky King, oh, I said Ricky King. <laughs> Ricky King and all of his dude bros. There's only two of them. So there's two, like, two dude bros. Yeah. Um, they start picking on her brother and being really rude. And she like allows it because yeah, she's she- like, mm, he's so swoon yeah, she, that that's like a flaw there like she yeah. overlooks like they're clearly bullying her little brother yeah like give me the remote kid he like pushes them down and- right um 
eventually she goes into the room with him. Yeah, because he tells her, I got to tell you something in the kitchen. And you're like, oh, is this, where's this going? I didn't say that. Yeah, because the truth is, Jenny, I think you're awesome. Awesome? Don't fall for it, Jenny. He's just giving you a line. Right, the moms are watching all the time. Yeah. You think I'm awesome? Oh, yeah. You're cooler than all the other girls. <laughs> um, so what is it you wanted to tell me? Nothing. Mostly I just wanted to do this. What, what, what is she doing? She's too young. She doesn't even know that boy. Uh, I gotta tell you, Jess, you're cooler than all the other girls. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, he goes in for the kiss, kids. I'm just realizing upon listening to this, the mom's reaction. What is she doing? She's too... This man, sorry, this child <laughs> pulls her in and just puts his mouth on her. She is not doing anything. This was not her. This was no initiation. And very quickly, she pushes him away. Mother, open your eyes. What are you doing? Kissing you. Well, you didn't ever ask. Ask what? Ask if I wanted to kiss you. What are you talking about? You just assumed that I wanted you to kiss me. I mean, I don't even know you. And even if I did know you and we talked and you got to know me and you asked me if I wanted to kiss, I might have been into it. But the way you did it was just wrong. <laughs> we both watched this and we're like, yeah! That's right, Janae! Female empowerment, dude. It's it was very uh, refreshing to it see was, that. It I was. think especially in this time period where a lot of teen flicks and this was a kid flick for sure, but a lot of teen flicks like glorified the like pushy quote unquote alpha male. Yeah, the, like the, you like, don't know that you want it until I give it to you, and then you then the girls want it, and that's not mm -hmm. in, a, in a different movie. It would have been considered romantic for him to pull her into the the other room and kiss her without asking. Yeah. Disgusting. But but Jenny's like, we're like, yeah, Jenny. Like, you didn't even ask. And I love that she like went there because I think very easily. I'm, I'm kind of glad that the script didn't say it, but I wish it had. The script had been like, you called me and said I was cute. And I also think puppies are cute. I don't let them attack me. Yeah, but she's like, I, I would have been into it if you had, you know, we'd become friends and we talked. Right. And, and you asked me beforehand. And I was like, cool. Yeah. Good job, movie. Good job, movie. Um, and then at that point, Jenny, like, that's the culmination of her arc is she, like, I think it's time for you to go. Yeah. And she becomes, like, mama bear. Kicks him out. She kicks them out and she saves her little brother who is having a... Seizure on the ground because he needs potassium. He needs the... He needs, the, he needs that, that vitamin K. He needs that sweet, sweet potassium in his body. <laughs> so she, yeah, she... It's like she... Uh, you see, it, it, it's done pretty good, like pretty elegantly. Like she goes from being a bratty, snotty, big big sister type character to being like mama bear at yeah. the house, you know, taking care of her brother, mm -hmm. kicking all the bullies out of the house, right. cleaning up the house before the parents get, whatever. All she that didn't stuff. do that part because at that point when the uh, young boy gets his attention, but he gets back to consciousness, suddenly the voice of God. Right, right. Gordon. <laughs> no, actually, not at that point. They hear like ruckish from the room and... Uh, Ricky King, having been jilted, uh, goes and starts just throwing records in the ground and trashing this house. Yeah, he he gets dumped or he gets uh, rejected, so he just starts destroying the Zelensky's property. Yeah, as 
Yeah. Stupid boys are wont to do. Yeah, man. Showing his true colors, Ricky King. Yeah. But then finally, the uh, Zelensky brothers get the... <laughs> the Super Zelensky brothers. <laughs> they get the um, the speaker to work, and they voice of God those children out of there. It's true. They, they, sorry, the Zelensky brothers now really give me some Mario and Luigi vibes. <laughs> Wayne is Luigi, even though he's shorter. And, and, and Gordon is Mario. Who has all the brains. <laughs> Um, the applicable brains. So I would say, all in all, Jenny has the best character development in the entire film. Right. Like, she's given the most to do. Mm. Uh, compared to Mr. Zelensky himself, Wayne. Yeah. So what does is, what is Wayne have? What is his arc? Where does he start? We, we talked about it yeah. already. But, like, I feel like in addition to all the other examples we've given of Wayne being neglectful... Uh, inconsiderate and just too much too selfish honestly mm-hmm. uh, he's also selfish to his kid and doesn't hear what his kid has to say you know dad I was kind of thinking that you know summer's not that far away it might be good for me to go to baseball camp don't you want to go back to that neat science camp we sent you to camp on sausage was fun dad but I've been there now three years in a row yeah but the fourth year is the best trigonometry don't you want to sign and co-sign kid <laughs> so he like doesn't hear his son tell no. him dad i'm not interested in the science stuff i want to go to baseball camp right much like the goof he i don't have the dad guilt the da- <laughs> dad clip sound effect but this is totally dad guilt right here is it i think so he has no guilt oh that's true <laughs> it's the 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 absence of the guilt that's the problem he so needs- it's just a ooh instead <laughs> yeah, of a whooshing play- sound i will play it backwards right here <laughs> He needs, he needs dad guilt in his life. Yeah. He's, he's shameless. Mm-hmm. Dad shamelessness. Get some shame, Zelensky. So late in the film, this, this whole adventure has, has given Wayne a change of heart mm. for some reason. It's like, it's, it opens his eyes, but like nothing really prompts Wayne yeah. to do this other than, oh, wow. There's a scene late, like halfway through the movie where they're like on top of the stairs and they're like, Wayne, what are you doing? Oh, I, I'm just admiring the, you know, the the workmanship of this wood. I'm I'm admiring this and that. I I realize I'm not paying much enough attention to the things around me. I need Is that to, a thing that he actually does? Yeah. Oh. He's like, I need to stop and just, you know, pay attention to things. And it's like, I'm sorry, Diane. I haven't been paying any attention to you. And it's like that's that's his character development. Well. And he tells he tells his wife when they split up like how he feels. I thought that the cockroach was going to eat you. I've never been so scared in my whole life. I love everything about you, Diane. And I promise things are going to get better. No, you don't know how glad I am to hear you say that. I love everything about you, too. You know, except for this shrinking stuff. That's the that's the resolution they have. They, they, they learn that they need to communicate better, I guess, and, mm-hmm. and love each other. And, and Diane does turn, come around on the Tiki Man. I would not have. That's a character. Is that a character arc? That's a character flaw. <laughs> Diane doesn't like the Tiki Man. And then at the end of the movie, she still doesn't like it, but she lets him keep it anyway. It's better than being shrunk, I suppose. And then, of course, at the end of the movie, uh, Wayne also needs to res- resolve things with his son. Mm-hmm. And this is the end of his character arc. The point is, I should have listened to you when you said you didn't want to go to Camp Isosceles this summer. Me too. How about if we send you to baseball camp wow look if you want to be a scientist 
that's great. But if you want to be a baseball player, that's great too. You should do whatever suits you. It's a be yourself movie. I want to Google Bug. I want to Google Bug Hall right now to see if he ever played baseball. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I think that's all we have really to say about Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Yeah. Like, yeah, Wayne, Wayne's character development is lame. Yeah. All the characters, like, other than Jenny, have horrible character arcs. Like, mm-hmm. none, of, none, of, none of them are even serviceable in terms of character. It's like, you get behind them because they are in distress. I think it's um, one of the situations of plot versus character. And this movie is plot-based, not character-based. Yeah. And I think you need a mix of both. And yeah. It's very, honestly, it's, it's like the inverse of of house arrest from 96 mm-hmm. where we harped way more on the characters because we felt like there was a good skeleton for character development right there, where the characters do change and develop mm-hmm. but the plot is so bare bones and like really lame like they get no mileage out of the parents lost locked in the basement right whereas this movie makes they do a lot with the parents having to get through this big giant house mm-hmm. and i was like that's the most fun but i feel like you also need the character developments to really like prop it up right but that's what you get with a direct video movie i guess yeah um so would you would you recommend honey yeah. we shrunk ourselves it's really it's it's a, it's a good movie it's a it's a good you know, yeah. i think so i think it's a fun little movie i i i it's free on disney plus i i would recommend it if if you are a fan like i, I would say you if you have disney plus and you say to yourself oh i liked honey i shrunk the kids when i was little i want to watch through Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, right? Like you sit, sit down on Disney Plus and you watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and you have a good time. And you go, oh, I remember the sequel. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. And you watch that one. There's no reason why you shouldn't push on and watch the third movie too. Yeah. Like I feel like the third movie. Be a completionist. The third movie. And again, I haven't rewatched those other two in a long, long time. But I feel like this movie is not a stinker. This mm-hmm. isn't one where you're going to be like, I am very disappointed in this movie. Right. It's totally fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. It's a movie. It's 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 a direct-to-video movie. It's got a lot of flaws, a lot of shortcomings, but it's definitely not horrible. Yeah. And it's it's quite charming in a lot of ways and, and, and a lot of fun in other ways. You know? I concur. All right. So let's see how the world what the world thought of Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. According to industry estimates, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves earned approximately $17 million against a $7 million budget. It's pretty good. Made its money back. Uh, and th- then some. And uh, this was considered a success on the video market. Well, not blow away. It was a success. So, Did and, it? And, and Disney went on to make other live-action direct-to-video garbage. So, <laughs> <laughs> it, it it proved a good testing ground, testing market. Uh, the film was largely panned by critics. For example, film blog Juicy Cerebellum simply said, "Honey, the series is starting to suck." No. Thanks, Juicy Cerebellum, for that <laughs> remark. It's a terrible name. This is like early internet when, you know, she just like had the craziest name. Oh, I'm witty. Blog. Uh, The Spokesman Review compared the film negatively to the first two Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movies, saying that the term straight to video is, quote, typically applied to movies that were deemed so bad that they didn't deserve a theatrical run. In the case of Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, the old meaning still six. That's rude. (laughs) Very rude. And while calling the film's plot formulaic and the effects ropey, Empire did say, honey, we shrunk ourselves, quote, keeps the energy up and the kids should still enjoy it. It's true. Fair. It's probably the most positive review I could find. (laughs) And I had to dig. Kidding. And what of the legacy of honey, we shrunk ourselves and of the honey, we shrunk our honey. I shrunk the kids like series in general because I have both. 
Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves spawned an official score soundtrack. Uh, parentheses, the score was composed by Michael Tavera. Okay. This was in the 90s. Like, even direct-to-video movies got orchestral scores. Huh. And I was like, there was an orchestral score here. Movie went into the... It's true. Money went into the music. You don't... You, you don't see that much anymore, especially with like directive streaming children garbage. That's mm, you don't watch directive streaming children garbage, so you can't say that for sure. I definitely don't hear orchestral scores in comedies anymore. That died in the nineties. I don't know what a comedy is. <laughs> <laughs> and what of the Honey I Shrunk the Kids franchise as a whole? Well, September nineteen ninety seven saw the debut of Honey I Shrunk the Kids the TV show. Ah. Which ran for three seasons. Have you ever seen that? Mm-mm. Me neither. I think it was straight to syndication. Wow. <laughs> so it must have not run in my market. Yeah. Don't even remember it. <laughs> if you watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids of the TV show, let us know. Uh, in 1999, the Journey into Imagination with Figment Dark Ride debuted at Epcot at Disney World. Featuring references to Wayne Zielinski and other Disney scientists, as well as a character that debuted in the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience attraction. So, was it a dog? I, I, it was a man, I think. It was a scientist host. A ho- man? The scientist host of Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, I think, appeared in this dark ride. Okay. And they made reference to, obviously, Wayne Zielinski and the doctor from Flubber. <laughs> Shout out to Robin Williams. <laughs> and in 2018, Disney announced that a reboot slash sequel called Shrunk is now in development. Oh. Potentially for a release on Disney+. Plus. That sounds like it's not going to be good. Uh, Rick Moranis has signed on to reprise his role as Wayne Zielinski. Hey, Rick is coming back to he's the, coming back the, to the industry. Yep. Nice. Yeah, he's, he's been away for a long time to raise his kids. He's yep. coming back to act. His um, kids are adults now. I, I believe uh, Joe Johnson, who directed the first movie, uh, is also coming <laughs> back to direct this one. So cool. I was like, it might be good. Maybe. Who knows? Let us know on Disney Plus when it happens, I guess. <laughs> and that is Honey and Shrunk Ourselves. Nice. Honey, we shrunk ourselves. Honey, I shrunk us because Pro- I didn't are hard. Want to have a talk. Honey, pronouns are hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to close out this segment with the only song from the soundtrack that I could find that wasn't score. Uh, there were like original songs written and featured in the soundtrack of the film. Mm-hmm. They're not anywhere. I can't find them. No YouTube <laughs> or nothing. So I've got the song Thrill of It by the Delphines. All right. Uh, Let's see how that goes. We'll see you on the other side with Jess's movie of back after these messages what if your sweater got shrunk not cool what if your parents got shrunk wait cool that's what happens in disney's brand new movie honey we shrunk ourselves now it's going to be total fun in your own home and your parents they're just along for the ride critics call it the best of the honey movies and non-stop family fun 
Now you can own Honey We Shrunk Ourselves, rated PG. Get shrunk now on video. back coming in with just a girl by no doubt yeah gwen stefani's weird little voice hitting our hitting our eardrums her voice isn't little, i, I don't big. like no doubt at all that's fair I, not at all we do it, know it's this. mostly her <laughs> like <laughs> my, like, my like older this? sister loves no doubt she listened to a lot of no doubt uh when she would drive me and my friends around in the you know around the town before we had our licenses uh can't stand it don't like her in No Doubt. Don't like her on Why her Why do own. you hate women? I don't. <laughs> Just don't like it. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what we're coming in with because it, it opens Jess's movie of 1997. What movie's that? Released April 25th, 1997. Written by Robin Schiff. Directed by David Merkin. Starring Janine Garofalo, Miro Sorvino, and Lisa Kudrow. That is Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Woo! Tell everybody what is Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. It is a movie about two women, one named Romy, one named Michelle, who go to their high school reunion. What is special about Romy and Michelle, though? They're not just any women. They're pretty women? <laughs> Wait, to they're, think that they're means prostitutes. Valley girls. They're valley girls. It's a movie about valley girls going to their high school valley reunion. Valley women. Valley women. They are in their almost 30s. They're going to a 10-year high school reunion. They are women. So, like, what... Because I had... I have a story on where I heard about this movie first, but, like, this is the first time I had watched it, mm -hmm. you know, for us doing this little project together. Where did you watch this movie? Satellite TV, baby! Like, at the time? Like, when it was, like, first being released on the satellite TV? Like, on HBO and stuff? Or what? No, it's 1997. I'm eight! I was... My dad was pirating cable at that time. I was watching HBO shows. Oh, I thought you were asking if... Um, no, I'm, I, I saw it later than that. Oh, okay, okay. Um... Not when it first came out. Well, like maybe it was probably two or three years after. So probably. Um, I just, you know me. And anyone, kids, any of you who know me in real life, if you've ever seen my YouTube feed, I will click on anything just to see what it is at least once. And then YouTube's like, I think you might like this. And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes it's no. And with Romy and Michelle, it was, oh, that movie's on again. I'm going to watch it. I enjoyed that. And I mean, I'll be honest, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It was, I feel like of was, all the movies that you've seen from me, this is the one that like took you by surprise and you like the most. Oh yeah. I was not, I was not expecting to like this movie at all. And I did. Yeah. So like the first time I heard about this movie was actually not too long before we watched it. Um, I listened to a podcast called 30, 2010. Mm -hmm. It's a podcast that talks about that week in pop culture 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago, right? Right. So I was listening to it in 2017, uh, this podcast, and they were like uh, celebrating the anniversary, the 20th anniversary of Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Mm. It was released in 1997. So five years ago, I was listening to this podcast and they, the hosts had all like, they were like, yeah, I remember what's coming out and expecting, like I was, I always expected to be really dumb 
and like low brow. Mm-hmm. And then all the hosts watch it. And like, I remember like the two male co-hosts went in like with low expectations and were like, this movie's great. It is great. It's so charming. <laughs> and so that stuck with me because I remember them just like gushing about how good it was. And then when you tell me, oh, that's my movie of 97, I was like, okay, this should be a reason to watch it. And it just like, I don't know, like, I don't know. You, you don't know what to expect. And it's just like, I don't know, such a pleasant viewing experience. It's pleasant. It's charming. It's excellent. Very funny. <laughs> very, very funny. Uh, yeah. So that's. That's where I heard of it, <laughs> and I'm glad I did. This is one of the... I feel like even just getting the clips for this show, I feel like this might be one of those movies that I also just want to like rewatch over and over <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah. Because uh, it, it's... You get like little jokes out of it every time you watch it. You're like, oh, I missed that last time. Yeah, that's it's really good. <laughs> Would you want to hear how it was made? Yes. So... The idea for Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion can be traced back to a 1987 stage play called Ladies Room, written by up-and-coming screenwriter Robin Schiff. Uh, so I, I like looked into it a little bit. I guess it's it's a play set in a women's restroom at a club, and it's like as women like leave and you know like they'll w- women will enter the ladies room and then leave that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So these random characters would all enter the ladies room and then leave, and you'd hear conversations i don't know right sounds like a stage play I yeah guess. sounds interesting i'd uh, watch it that play featured two minor characters based on stereotypical valley girls huh. uh, I, they might have been named romy and michelle in the play <laughs> i'm not sure i could not verify but according to schiff quote they were loosely based just visually on these girls i used to see going into a club on sunsets uh sunset boulevard You'd see these two friends, and they look like they got dressed together and were wearing different versions of the same thing. <laughs> and that's Romy and Michelle. That's fair. Like, on a surface level. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Schiff went to L.A. clubs to research the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, with one particular encounter inspiring Romy and Michelle's key relationship. Quote, I go into a bathroom, and I overheard these two girls as they stood in the mirror at the bathroom saying, Oh, my God, I hate my hair. Your hair? My hair. I would trade your hair for, I would trade my hair for your hair in two seconds. Take my hair. That's Schiff then said, there's a real musicality to it. Yeah. (laughs) It was like two halves of a whole and I have a lifelong best friend. So I know what it's like to have these two people who are bonded. Yeah. That's funny. Cause that's what Romy and Michelle, their relationship is like, they finish each other's sentences. What did you refer to them as? Soulmates. They're soulmates. They're soulmates. Absolutely. They're, they're just like these two Valley Girl soulmates that like are up against the world together. It's it's, it's such a it's we, so wholesome. It's very wholesome. It's it's charming, adorable. Absolutely. What was the name of that play again? Uh, ladies room. Ladies room. Oh yeah, it's ladies room and the fields. Right. Don't cut that. <laughs> As a member of the Groundlings comedy troupe, oh. another member. That's why I was I was telling you before we recorded. I was like, everything's connected to Pee Wee. I hate you. Yes, yes. Uh, Paul Rubens was a member of the Groundlings as well. But I feel like just in like looking into how your favorite things were made, you start to notice trends, and it's like the same group of people seem to be responsible for all the things that you love. At least mm-hmm. that's what it feels like here with Media Made. It's like. Both of our shows have been touched by the Groundlings mm-hmm. in some way. You know, both both of our, like, different movies and TV yeah, shows yeah, and, yeah. and all that stuff. So, like, yeah, it's just crazy how often the Groundlings come up. Right. So, yep. Uh, Schiff was a member of the Groundlings. So, she decided to cast fellow Groundling Lisa Kudrow as one of the Valley Girls. 
I didn't realize Lisa Kudrow was a groundling. That uh, makes sense. This was Kudrow's first professional gig. Oh, was it? Yep. She's just a funny lady. She just she's is. She's a very funny lady. Like, that's why she gets cast in these, these like, roles. She does get typecasted a lot at this point, or at least the type point. Before. But she's genuinely funny. Very funny, yeah. So she's, you know, she's, she's trained in an improv group. Um, and I feel like by casting Lisa Kudrow in that play, Robin Schiff, the writer, has, like, a forever favor from um, Lisa Kudrow. <laughs> like, Kudrow called in that favor. Yeah. A lot. Though intended to just be filler characters, the Valley Girls garnered a strong reaction from audiences. <laughs> Apparently, reportedly, they received, quote, a huge laugh and applause on opening night from their entrance alone. Because, <laughs> you know. Because everybody knows 1989, one. yeah, like Valley Girl. Like we, we had talked about it with like Buffy, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, what are most of my stuff. Most of your stuff. Valley, <laughs> Valley Girl was a stereotype right. that was the butt of a lot of jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was prevalent. Especially in that, like, you know, late 80s, early 90s consumer culture in Los Angeles. Right, yeah. Every girl wanted to go to Rodeo Drive, get designer clothing. Yep. Go to the mall. Let's go to the mall. Oh, you still haven't seen that show. I need to make you watch it. Continue. Schiff said, quote, I'm standing in the theater going, why? I'm still fascinated on what made them applaud just by seeing them. (laughs) It was like, it's because Valley Girls were cultural icons and they yeah. were funny to make fun of i guess yeah it was iconic like ah oh, yes i know that i'm going to laugh now right it was too serious in this lady's room until just this moment it, it, like you said it's like everyone in la had met one yeah uh, ladies room became the basis for a 1989 television show pilot called just temporary okay never heard of it which was written by shiv and starred kudrow as a similar character but just the pilot Though the pilot wasn't picked up, NBC did air the pilot in September 1989. Oh, okay. I was born that year, right? You were? Okay, cool. I'm bad with numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ladies Room eventually caught the attention of Disney executives. Uh, Oh. They did not specify which ones, but I can only assume that our old friend, Petty A-Hole, Jeffrey Katzenberg, (sighs) was involved. Uh, So through their Touchstone Pictures label, they were looking for a, quote, female version of Wayne's World. I haven't seen Wayne's World, but is that how you would pitch? Wayne and Garth are like metalheads, but they're also huge dorks. Uh. So they're unintelligent. Like they're, I don't know. I guess, I guess you can say they're making fun of like Los Angeles dude bros, but also metalheads, which there's an overlap. There's a bit of a (laughs) diagram. There there can be, especially in the eighties. Like if you watch, um, I've talked about this, the decline of Western civilization part two, which is all about hair metal. Mm -hmm. It's like, it was a bunch of like glitzed up, glammed up Los Angeles dude bros trying to make metal music. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Wayne and Garth, I guess are, they they kind of filled that role. Okay. Uh, Anyway. Uh, so I can understand Disney executives seeing these two charismatic Valley girls and thinking there's our Wayne and Garth. (laughs) (laughs) So they hired Schiff to adapt the play into a feature film. That's cool. But wouldn't it really be that one portion of the play? <laughs> like, not the whole play. Just like, that's, it's very much like, hey, I really like that quiet kid in the corner. Can we make a spinoff show called Daria? <laughs> Schiff might have felt the same way because she was initially a- reluctant to adapt Ladies Room into the screenplay. But the idea of the two Valley Girl characters being invited to their high school reunion appealed to her instead. So she kind of took their story and 
you know, blew it up. Blew it up. I love that they, they so blew up, much. They blew up the Valley Girls. I, uh, honey, the, I blew up the Valley Girls. No, I actually love the idea of that so much. Right, like the 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 nature of discursive art derivative <laughs> the nature of derivative art discursive is a different word guys um and just like i don't know it feels very much like oh man that story is really cool but did you see that person in the back like the idea which is very true and i think you can see in the microcosm of what ladies room sounds like it was like everybody has their own life people enter and leave this room and this is just one scope and to just choose a couple of the characters to follow, like they have their own lives. It could have yep, been anyone. Yep, yep. I love that. I love that. I love Romeo and Michelle even more for that being its its origin. Schiff spent the next five years developing and redeveloping the script. She said, quote, I would write a draft. I would write another draft and they wouldn't get it. <laughs> uh, they kept giving me notes. The essence of the script never changed, but a billion details changed. It kept getting better and better and better. We kept getting notes from the studio. They wanted the ending to be bigger. And those are kind of notes that drive you insane because it's a relatively, it's a relative term anyway. Bigger than what? Bigger than a bread box? So we kept writing different endings. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That that's sounds very annoying. Disney. Working, yeah. working with Disney in their executive notes. Yeah. She said, at one point they fired me off the movie and I was off the movie for a year. Huh. Yeah. Um, I, I look, uh, if she said like, According to what I could glean from her quotes here in you know interviews, only her friendship with Kudrow and Kudrow's subsequent hit role on Friends kept them both involved. Good. Yeah. If if Lisa Kudrow had not been in Friends. Yeah. And if Lisa Kudrow did not insist on standing by her friend. Right. This, this would this mm, probably wouldn't have been made. It it definitely wouldn't be as good. That too. Yeah. So it's like Lisa Kudrow. She she cashed in that favor. Mm-hmm. Veteran TV writer David Merkin stepped in as director. This was his directorial debut. So oh, we've okay. got an episode good of job, directorial Merkin. debuts here on Media Oh, Day. yeah. All the newbies. They did good jobs. Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino was cast as Romy. According to Merkin, quote, it turned out that she ha had a horrible time in high school. So the story appealed to her. Because she, 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 she was just coming off of an Academy Award win. Like, like, so, yeah, she was a big deal. She was a hot hot commodity in Hollywood, and she ended up doing this ditzy blonde Valley Girl movie because she had a bad time in high school. Mm, she's like, I can, I yep, I, I can, I can tap into those feelings very easy. How old was she? I think they were both in their late twenties. Okay. Uh, or Lisa Kudrow was a bit older. I think she was like thirty something, but Maria Servino is probably like twenty nine. Mm. Yeah, roundabouts. After the film was completed, according to Schiff, it was quote one of the lowest tested movies in the history of Disney. Meaning they focus tested it and the focus groups did not like it. <laughs> That's because there is a lot of women. <laughs> uh, certain scenes were recut, but people still thought that it was dumb. According to her. The movie was thus released unceremoniously by the studio with no confidence in its success. Oh, so Disney was like, no. They were just going to dump it in. After they made the whole thing? Yeah, they were just going to dump it in April and, you know, just get on with their lives. Wow. And so, yeah, I was reading that apparently Robin Schiff like scheduled it out so that she could be out of town when the movie released. So she didn't have to read the reviews. <laughs> and that's how Romeo and Michelle was made. Wow. We'll, we'll, we'll come back at the end of the show and tell talk you how it was, was received. Yeah. So let's talk about this movie. All let's, right. Yeah. So obviously the movie is about Romeo and Michelle going to their high school reunion. Mm -hmm. Well, wait till he sees you now. You are so much cuter than you were in high school. Oh. I guess I'm cuter. 
Yeah, and look at the way we live. I mean, just our lifestyle. You know, I mean, we live in L.A., and they are still stuck in Tucson. You know what, Michelle? You're right. We are going to go back there and blow them away. It's about two Valley Girl women going back to Tucson, Arizona, to their high school reunion, and blow everyone away. Blow them all away. That's the plot. Yeah. So, obviously, like, it's easy to just say, oh, yeah, Romy and Michelle, they're Valley Girls. But... There's more to their characters than this, just that. Can you yeah. describe Romy and Michelle for us? They are 20-somethings living who have moved away from family, friend, and stability. They moved from Arizona, which, I mean, it's not far, but it's still, like, at least a six-hour drive from where they're living to Tucson. So they moved as probably high schoolers, like, as fresh high school graduates out to L.A., they're living in a beachfront apartment. Yeah, I was like, hold on. They can on afford Venice. a beachfront property. Uh, they don't own the property, but they live and rent mm-hmm. a studio. Not even a studio apartment. It's huge. I think it's huge. Yeah. Might be a studio apartment, but it's humongous. It's a loft. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they just live They live in LA. Romy has a job at a Jaguar dealership, dealership as a receptionist. And Michelle does not have a job, but you know they're just. She designs her own clothes, though. Like that, she—that's what she hopes to do. Is yeah, work she, in fashion design. Yeah, but yeah, she, she just does that in her free time. Romy know? is played by Mira Sorvino. Right. Uh, She's—I would consider the smarter of the two. Yeah. Neither are particularly intelligent, but they're not like ditzy, like yeah. extremely unintelligent. Michelle is quite dumb in, in some situations. Yeah. <laughs> She's the cute one. <laughs> Michelle is the like the one that just like it seems like Michelle just kind of like she, Romy takes the lead. Yeah. And Michelle follows. Yeah, and and not like in the well, not in the duh, 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 in a like super dumb way, but in the she's just super chill. She's just so chill. She's just so chill. She does not care. She's carefree. Yeah. She's like blissful. She's happy go lucky. She's, she's the definition of happy go lucky. Mhm. <laughs> Uh, but what do they do in their free time? Watch movies. They go clubbing. They go clubbing. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely go clubbing a lot. They get they get dressed up and go out to the club. I can't believe how cute I look. I know. You know what? This is like the cutest we've ever looked. Oh, it's definitely the cutest. Don't you love how we can just say that to each other and we know that we're not being conceited? Oh, I know. No, we're just being honest. <laughs> when we when we watched the movie the most recent time, like I was. I couldn't look at these two when they're out clubbing and not think this is the female versions of the dudes from Night at the Roxbury. Yeah. Now, I've only seen Night at the Roxbury like one time, but like there's something about these two losers. Hey. (laughs) That get dressed up, try to be fancy and go out to the club and just impress people. Like Mm -hmm. that's what that's what they do in Night at the Roxbury. And that's kind of what Romy and Michelle do in their free time. Yeah. They get dressed up. All nice, and they go out to the club, and they mostly just dance with themselves. Yeah, they from they try to hit on men, but like they get no success. Yeah, I though I want to say like, what else is there to do in your twenty somethings if you're like living in LA in the nineties? Are we the 90s? yeah in the late yeah. yeah? You know, like I mean, I wouldn't because I am not a clubber. Don't like it. <laughs> it's not for me. But it's just like, what else do you do with your free time? I guess go surfing, go shopping. Only if you have money. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if I lived in LA, I would still shop outside of LA. 
Um, so uh, speaking of Night at the Roxbury, um, something about this movie that's very striking is it is very soaked in 90s nostalgia, mm. but it's weird. It's, it's not 90s nostalgia because it's the 90s. So well, it's, yeah, you're right. It's soaked in just 90s aesthetic. Yes. Um, so it has a lot of like the 90s-isms, right? Mm-hmm. But we looked into it. There's a reason. Yeah. Some one You can point to one person that <laughs> created that aesthetic. Um, and that person is costume designer Mona May. We looked it up because we were like, something that's really strong about Romy and Michelle is the costumes. Like mm-hmm. everything is just super bright and flamboyant. Yeah. Um, very 90s, right? And I was like, who did the costumes for this? Because she had a lot of fun. Yeah. They had a lot of fun. I, did, I assumed it was a woman. That was my fault. But it was a woman, Mona May. So we, she has her own Wikipedia article, and this is what it says. Mona May has been hailed by some as the, quote, queen of 90s movie fashion, best known for her work on Clueless, The Wedding Singer, Night at the Roxbury, and Never Been Kissed, to name a few. <laughs> she did it all. She created the 90s look that everyone yeah. remembers. Yeah. So when you think about, oh, that's such a 90s look, it's Mona it was co- it was coined it was coined by Mona. Mona May. Yeah. yeah. So uh Romy and Michelle uh has the Mona May touch. Yeah. So the movie is just bright and loud. Yeah. And very 90s. So if you ever like think I want to watch a really fun 90s movie that's like it's you know, one. cozy 90s, it's this one. It's this one. This is the one you want to watch. <laughs> If you want to have like that 90s throwback night where you watch this and Clueless and uh, I don't know. One of the other things that was on that list. Brink. <laughs> no. Or uh, stop. Stop pushing Brink. Blank I don't check. want any more of your Brink agenda. <laughs> Br- blink. Uh, brink also came out in 1997. No. I believe. No. That's the reason we don't do TV movies. It's because we would have been watching so many Disney Channel oh original gosh. movies. So would you rather watch... Honey, I Shrunk Ourselves, or Brink? I've watched Brink so many times with you. I would not. I, I just want you to know I would protest if we ever had to talk about Brink on this po- podcast. I would not say a single word. A single word. You had to bring on a guest skater. So another interesting thing about this movie is like, yes, it has, it very much has the 90s aesthetic, but it's also about two characters that went to high school in the 80s, mm-hmm. going back to their high school reunion. Right. So... There's so much 80s nostalgia, too. Mm-hmm. So this movie is both a 90s movie and an 80s movie, like, mushed together. It's like right. this weird, beautiful uh, blend of both the styles. And I love it. You it's like, love it. It gets the most, best of both worlds. It's like the soundtrack to Romy and Michelle is amazing because it's all <laughs> these 90s pop hits. Mm-hmm. You got, like, you know, Cyndi Lauper and uh, She Blinded Me With Science. Uh, I'm Turning Japanese. Um <laughs> What, what, just like uh, Devo. Lots of it. Lots of it. It's like every eight, every 80s pop hit that you could think of is probably in this movie. Uh, yeah. I'm addicted to love. That one is in Foot there. Footloose. Footloose. It's great. So yeah, I, I'm sure that's a movie that you can even have. Like 80s, 90s movies mushed together. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> this is the one. So that, that's one thing I really appreciate about this movie is how mm-hmm. fun the aesthetic is. Yeah. And how it's, it's so... It's so clearly what it is. And that sounds stupid. It's almost but it's out like, of time. It's almost like yeah. this is a dreamlike version of all of that. Yeah, it's like a, a amber gra- glass preserved ideal, idyllic version of yeah. like this 
90s, 80s time. It's like if you remember the 90s with rose color, you know, rose tinted glasses, you just watch this movie to recapture that. Yeah. It's, it's it's, It's really weird. It's like this, this 90s never existed, but it existed in this movie. Sort of like the um, the Brady Bunch movies, mm-hmm. those nineties ones. The spoof ones. Yeah, yeah. Those were like that nineties never existed, <laughs> but it's there in yeah. that movie. Oh man, nice. But uh, as far as plot goes, um, the plot really kicks off when Romy's at her job and someone comes to uh, pick up a jaguar yeah. at her place of business. An old high school buddy, best character. I'm in a hurry. Well. I'm going as fast as I can, Miss Mooney. Heather. Heather Mooney? From Sagebrush High in Tucson? Yeah. It's Romy! Romy White! You're shitting me. No! <laughs> this is so weird! I didn't know you were living in LA! Well, now that you know, will we be getting together a lot? <laughs> <laughs> Ever, th- this was so hard, by the way, to get clips <laughs> for this movie because almost every line is quotable and funny. Yeah. Every single one. So mm. I, w- I was like, I had to like reel myself back because I wanted to just capture every clip. But like, yeah. not just, it's like every every line is great. Mm-hmm. Every line spoken by Heather Mooney yeah. is like golden. Delivery is everything. She's doing, she's living this role. Heather Mooney is played by Janine Garofalo and she owns it. Yes. Can you just describe Heather? Um, moody. (laughs) She is a tiny chihuahua-like woman, meaning she's small, has lots of aggression, uh, and also she's very gothic. She's got like dark black hair. Yeah, like Um, definitely dyed dark black hair. She's got coal all around her eyes. She's a chain smoker. She, she she smokes like 20 packs a day. Every every single scene she's just, you know, like just sucking down on a cigarette. Um, and that scene that you just heard is the politest you will hear her for the entire movie except for one part at the end. This is the politest she's going to speak. She's done with everybody. Yeah. She hates everybody. She doesn't want to talk with anybody. She just is like Angry. Know. She's angry at the world. Chihuahua woman. She's always put upon. Every yes. conversation has she has to get in is is just inconvenient. Yeah. To her. Highly. Uh, but she's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> she brings something to Romy's attention that there's a high school reunion going on because it's been 10 years since high school. Right. You going to the reunion? What reunion? Our 10-year high school reunion in Tucson. You're kidding me. It's been 10 years since high school? God, where have I been? I'm stumped. Where? <laughs> anyway, are you going? I'd rather put this out in my ass. <laughs> this being a cigarette. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so this conversation obviously sparks Romy to then tell Michelle about the high school reunion. And yeah. they start reminiscing about high school and thinking about, should we go to this fun sequence? <laughs> should we go to the high school reunion? And that's the movie. It's like them deciding. Deci- yes. And then, Getting to the point where they go to the reunion. Yeah. yeah it's the, that's the movie. It's Romy and Michelle going to their high school reunion. Yeah. The, the, the title tells that, it all. Does that seem boring? Guys, it's not. It's not. It's not at all. It's so much fun. Yeah. So speaking of like where this movie goes and the fun journey it is to get to the reunion, um, this movie has a very interesting format, uh, structure. Like there's like it's linear 
Mm. You know, it has a beginning and end, you know, beginning, middle and end and everything moves along. But there's a lot of cutaway gags. Yeah. It feels like almost like a Family Guy episode in a way, you know, um, where like characters will be doing something and then there'll either be a flashback to something that happened in the past mm -hmm. or, you know, a quick cutaway to a scene that's like a joke or like little episodes. Mm -hmm. Like the movie is very structured. Every act has its own little types of episodes, whether they be dream sequences or... Romy goes and does this while Michelle goes, goes and does this. And they both have their little adventure off on the side yeah. and then they come back together or memories of high school. Like they go through their yearbook and they remember all of the things that happened at high school. And it's like little cutaways mm -hmm. to things that happened in the past. Yeah. And, it, and that shows you. And then those little things gives you like moments of knowing more about characters you haven't met yet or like more about like Heather Mooney. Like you saw her and she's very... Um, angsty and prickly as an adult and then they're like oh look there's a picture of heather muni and you just see a cutaway of her being just absolutely wrecking some dude he deserved it um and you're just like okay this this is this is this, this is, is nice the movie. It, it's it's a little jarring the first time you watch it because i wasn't expecting that's what the movie was so there's a lot of, it, they throw a lot of cutaways very quickly yeah. yeah especially in that one scene where it's just Romy and Michelle looking through their yearbook, uh, seeing all these things. And there's like one cutaway where uh, they're like, they show the drama club. Yeah. And, and it only lasts like five seconds. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's just a five second joke. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of those. Mm -hmm. um, and once you know to expect it, it's actually a lot of fun. And mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate the movie for doing that. Um, there are some cutaways and dream sequences that go on a little too long. <laughs> like there is a dream sequence where Michelle... Like, I didn't even understand that it was a dream sequence. Mm -hmm. it, you watch you watch it a second time, it totally makes sense. Yeah. It's Michelle dreaming about something that happened, you know, right. that's you know, she thinks is happening. Um, and it's very absurd and stupid. Yeah. But it goes on for ten minutes, and I was thinking to myself, like, is the movie detouring a little too much? <laughs> like I kind of want to see what happens in the real plot. Yeah, but you get back to it. You get back to it and then you see how it services the characters yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah, so like uh, through all these vignettes, they like go and they re, they reminisce on what high school was like, the people they knew and who they were, and like while watching this, we we like thought about ourselves and how we were in high school and things. Yeah, because honestly, like that's like the first act of the movie, the first thirty minutes or so is all about Romy and Michelle remembering high school. You mm -hmm. see flashbacks. And it's like the scars of high school, like, <laughs> like being reopened in a yeah. way, you know, and I like freaking, I have a scene of, uh, Heather Mooney, like saying goodbye to Romy after their encounter there when they, you know, meet up again. And it just goes to show what happened to her in high school. I guess I won't be seeing you at the reunion, but I'll tell everyone you said hi. Why don't you tell everyone I said to go fuck themselves for making my teen years a living hell? Oh yeah, right. Making my teen years a living hell. <laughs> we can relate to that. Absolutely. Because I feel like it happened to a lot of people. Like, you go through high school and it's like, sure, there are some good times, but it's like, dude, there's a lot of scars from high school that, you know, just never go away. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think back to my high school years and it's like, I was... I, I feel like I relate the most to Heather Mooney because she was just so angry. <laughs> yes. And she's still like, obviously she grew up to be a very angry person mm -hmm. because of what people did to her in high school. And like in her mind, it's like she was devalued. She was uh, ignored or neglected. Mm -hmm. And she was like, just, I don't know, just 
pushed aside in favor of more popular people. Yeah. Because you know? that's the thing. The movie presents the stereotypical, like, pecking order mm-hmm. in high school, right? There's, you know, the popular people at the top, and Romy and Michelle call them the A group. Yeah. Because Romy and Michelle are looking through the, uh, the yearbook, and they're like, oh, there's the A group. And it's like these preppy mean girl characters. Yeah. I have, I have a clip of them, actually. Those weirdos are staring at us again. They're obsessed with us. Look at what they're wearing. Where do you even get outfits that hideous? They made them in home ec from their own patterns. Actually, I think they're semi-interesting. In a freakish, off-putting sort of way, never mind. You know, mean girls, uh, Heathers, Yeah. in a way. No, no, Heather is the Heather here. Just kidding. And they're just like, you know, talking mean about Romy and Michelle behind their back and yeah. giving them side eye and bullying them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Romy and Michelle, they're like, we weren't the B group. Or it was like, were we the B group? We weren't the C group, were we? And it's like, <laughs> no, no, we were just off to ourselves. <laughs> and I, I could relate to that, too, because it's like in my high school, there were cliques, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like. You were you. We were watching it. Like some of the clicks, like you were thrown off by in, in Romy and Michelle. Like there's an Asian group. <laughs> like legitimately, there's just a group of Asian yeah. folks at the reunion. Yeah. No, my high school had clicks too. Like uh, clicks. Would we just like lots of groups? I think the thing that was interesting about how it's promoted. So that was the question that I had. Like when you were in high school, was it so the line so rigidly defined? I guess that's where I was going. Um, I my friend group, we didn't feel like we fit in any of like the pre like you know there were skater kids and there were like asb students and there were the band kids um and i was friends with like individual you know there's the the basketball players the football players Mm -hmm. it was like i was friends with individuals from all those groups but like when i ate lunch it was just with like a core group of like six or seven friends right we ate lunch together but there was like no defining thing about us you Mm -hmm. know it was like we were just like outsiders it was like you know, two of us liked metal music, but the rest didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, four of us liked video games, but like that wasn't what defined us. So it was just like we were like outcasts. And Romy and Michelle say that's kind of what they were. Yeah. You know? No, yeah, I agree. I think that that, like, because how high schools, how schools in general, and at least American schools are presented in the media, it's not my experience, not the experience of a, a lot of people I know around me. I maybe in like more elite schools or something, there's like these kinds of things, you know, like because there's there's stereotypes that go with everything. Like if I say like, oh, I went to um, an all girls Catholic school, you immediately have an idea of what my my I didn't kids. I didn't do that. But like we all have like these kind of like things that are told to us through media that don't necessarily always hold up because there were plenty of groups at my school. There were jocks, cheerleaders, ASB, drama, the anime club. And, um, but I think that for the most part, maybe it was because by that time I hadn't really been in any groups maybe towards the end of middle school I finally was getting like friends but I hadn't really had a consistency kind of thing so there was like a I remember a core group of people like girls that I would eat with or have like lunch with and have friendships with but it would always be like kind of rotating in our area and it'd be like I was on the basketball and swimming team so that gave me some stock some stock some credit or whatever but it wasn't like I was 
important or anything like that. Like it wasn't like we were winning basketball games because I was there. No, I was second string center. That's not the the thing. But like if there were new people who moved into our school, transferred to our school and were added to the basketball team, I'd invite them to our group until they could find friends that they, not that we kicked them out, but it would be like, hey, do you not want to eat alone? Here's some people. Feel free to it. I feel like that's probably it translates into a lot you were, you were of the foster became. family. I, I really was the foster friend where I was just like, oh, I had like in high school, I think maybe a group of like six or seven girls that I would hang out consistently with. But I had two friends that I would be like, we were at each other's house, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and that's what my high school looked like. We didn't really. I it, it, I remember specifically graduating. I remember specifically on graduation, on like commencement for high school. Um, I was standing in our borrowed field because we had a big class, but we also had no field because money. And um, somebody was in front of me, some dude whom I can't even remember now. And I didn't talk to people because I don't really like people that are outside of my circle. And somebody said something. I said something under my breath that was probably witty and inappropriate. And so-and-so so and so turned around and laughed and was like, ah. And, I, and again, under my breath, I was like, you don't even know who I am. And he called me by my full name. And I was like, okay, I guess the mm. school is, right? Like, it's like one of those things where like, oh, I don't really talk to these people. So they're not in my sphere of like influence or spear of anything. So they don't really know I exist. But then it was like, nope, people know you exist. They do. Yeah. So I guess like my high school also wasn't quite as rigid as the movies, you mm -hmm. know, and Roman Michelle's is sort of rigid, but not completely. Mm -hmm. and I think that's why people can connect with Romy and Michelle as the outside group in yeah. high school, because anyone can see themselves in Romy and Michelle. Yeah. Because, like, Romy, they say, like, Romy was heavy in high school, even though, like, Mira Sorvino was not heavy when she filmed those scenes. Yeah. She just, she just wore baggier clothing. Yeah. And had shoulder pads. <laughs> like the, you know, suit shoulder pads, like in mm -hmm. the 80s. And um, Michelle had a back brace. Yeah. Because she had scoliosis. Scoliosis. Um, so it's like, yeah, that's that makes them kind of outsiders. Mm -hmm. But they still, you know, look like Mira Sorvino and Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. So they, they get bullied in the movie. Yeah. You know, and they, I feel like that's to make audiences connect to them because everyone was bullied in high school, right? Yeah, at some point, everyone was bullied. I, I thought I ought to tell you, Michelle, that Christy Master stuck magnets on your back. What? She stuck magnets on your back. Michelle, you do have magnets on your back. Oh my god. Oh my god. Hey! I'm pretending you just said something hilarious. Now you laugh at me. Come on, do it. Two things. One, um, Romy's a good friend. Yeah. Two, uh, I, I feel like you can get flashbacks to high school just hearing that. And like yeah. just hearing people laugh at you. Oh, like, yeah. Like, you know, just like for something you did or something embarrassing and you're just like, oh. Or just laughing at you and you don't know why. Yeah, that too. Ugh. So I connect with that. Like, I'm trying to think of like actual examples. Like the only one I can remember is when I was in middle school is like I was running to class and I f slipped and fell in a puddle mm. like in the grass. Okay. And I just like took a tumble. I got mud all over me and everybody's like, 
<laughs> I was like, gosh, this sucks. Sorry. It sucks. Sophia, I, I don't want to share any of my stories because they're real bummer. Oh, man. <laughs> but I, I guess that, you know, hey, the movie can hit home in that regard. Mm. Everybody... Everyone can connect to it because everyone had horror stories from high school. Yeah. Where something embarrassing happened. Yeah. And you just like, you know, people laughed at you and you're just like. Ah. Stuff that you're still haunted by today in your 30s. That, that's the <laughs> movie, that's what this, this yeah. especially this act of the movie is all about. It's like stuff happened to you in high school and you still remember it and mm-hmm. still you're still sore about it. Yeah. Um, here's, an, here's another example uh, that I th- actually find this interesting. Like speaking of being sore about something that happened in high school. Um. Heather Mooney, Janine mm-hmm. Garofalo, uh, is upset. She even expresses it to Romy when they still meet. She's upset that she thinks that Michelle stole a boy she had a crush on yeah. in high school. <laughs> I wonder why we didn't get an invitation. I mean, I'm sure Michelle would have told me if she got one. Michelle Weinberger? Mm-hmm. Do you live with Michelle Weinberger? Yeah. <sighs> I just thought maybe she'd be married to Sandy by now. Sandy Frank? (laughs) Yes, Sandy Frank. He could barely contain his erection every time she was around. Why do you think he always carried that huge notebook? The Frankazoid and Michelle, I'm sure. Besides, didn't you have a thing for Sandy in high school? (laughs) I did not have a thing. I did not have a thing. I did not have a thing. (laughs) She's standing in line at the Jaguar dealership. She turns around to tell the woman behind her, (laughs) I don't have a thing. I don't have a thing. She's so she's She's nailing this role. So good. Did you ever have like relationship stuff? Like, I can't, I don't think I ever like liked someone that a friend liked, at least in high school. Um, (laughs) It was like the same answer. uh, (laughs) At least not in high school. I'm trying to think. But I can remember one, okay, this was like, okay, I'm, I don't do well under, I don't like when people I don't know talk to me. I remember specifically, though, there was one time I was waiting. It might have been before school or during break. I was just sitting at the tables we usually sit at with our friends, but I was the only one there. I think it might have been before school, probably after zero period basketball. And then uh, I was sitting at the table, random dude, don't know if I've ever had ever seen him before. Uh, definitely went to the school, but didn't know who he was. Which was like, uh, like chatting me up and then was like, can I get your number? And I, being 15, and maybe had a phone, but probably didn't, but definitely had no experience talking to anybody because, as I said, I was bullied and nobody let me know that I was worth anything, um, was like, uh, no, mm, uh, I was very weird and shaken up about it. And he went fine and then spread uh, a rumor around the whole school that I was a lesbian. So I oh, never got no. asked for anything. I mean, there's nothing wrong that's with being ho- a lesbian, but still that's, horrible. but I'm not a lesbian. I was like, that's, that's the kind of bullying that, because we watched that movie or like, you know, Christy, uh, Chris, what, what's the, the, the mean girl's name in this movie? Um, Christy something. Christy masters. Mm hmm connects magnets to Michelle's uh, back brace mm-hmm. as a prank. Right. You know? And I was like, that's really low for a high school student to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, high school students aren't that juvenile, are they? What that guy did to you is the kind of thing that a Christy Masters would have done. And I was like, that's horrible. Yeah. That's so mean. It, it, I, it also didn't help that most of the girls on my basketball team were actually lesbians. <laughs> and so it was just one of those things like, oh, yeah, that track. She's probably a lesbian, too. And I was like... That's fun. I didn't want to date anyone in the school anyway. I'm just saying, you know, like, I, I'm feeling with Heather Mooney here. It's like, why would I go back to my high school reunion? F those people, you know? <laughs> you know? I'd rather put this cigarette <laughs> in my butt, you know? Like, I'm like, yeah, I feel the same way. 
I'll, mean, I'll come. I'll, I'll ask a question about that in a second. But uh, I, I just thought of an example of like having a thing for a girl that another boy had a, th- you know, that she was with another guy. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't think I've told this story on Mike before. Um, I've told it. I, I've definitely told it to you. When I was a senior in high school, there was a girl that I was like talking to. Like, you know, we were we were getting to know each other. We yeah. Went, we went on a date. And I thought it was quite nice, but also it's like I had never been on a date before, right? Mm-hmm. This is my first one. I didn't know what to do after the date, right? It's like, I, you know, I got in my head. I was like, I have no idea what to do. I have no, <laughs> it's like no idea, right? Like I have no plan, no idea. <laughs> so I just like did do, no progress was made with that girl after that. You know, it's like I didn't like to follow up, ask her out again. Nothing. nothing. You know, I didn't think I didn't know. I was like, I have no idea what to do. You, you, you don't, I didn't go and talk to her at lunch. It was just like. <laughs> So she probably was like, well, Rod, Rod's not into me. That date was hor- must have been horrible. Then. <laughs> and I feel very bad about that. You know, it's like, hey, I was stupid and inexperienced, I guess. You know, <laughs> so she starts dating a dude that I had in a class. He was in my my psychology class. Mm-hmm. And so I see them like holding hands out in the quad and they kiss. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> it could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> it was the worst. So Aww. Heather Mooney, it's like. I would have thought they would be married by now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, holding on to that for a long time. Yeah, I, I haven't hold, held on oh. to that. that, that I mean, hard. yeah, yeah, but no Heather Mooney here. But yeah, it's like, yep, yeah. it happens. It does happen. I, yeah. But the question I did want to ask was, you didn't go to your ten-year high school reunion, did you? I did not. No. I also did not because I probably wouldn't have gone even if they invited me. But uh, it just so happened that I graduated high school in 2010. <laughs> a certain thing was happening in 2020 that would have. <laughs> All but certainly, uh, you know, canceled any plan of a 10-year high school reunion for Just us. Just so. Zoom. Zoom high school. <laughs> no. Reunion. It's even worse. <laughs> it would have been funny to hop onto our Zoom high school reunion, like, and say, yeah, I invented post-it notes. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a, jo- as a joke that no one would get. I know, right? Because everyone in my high school was uncultured. Oh, man. <laughs> it's funny. Um, another thing about like what this movie does to present high schoolers is like it has a few interesting like pieces of wisdom or revelations about the high school experience, mm-hmm. um, and that is that everybody is some everybody is somebody's monster. Yeah, you're always somebody's monster yeah. in high school, and you may not even realize it. So this is a scene. It's a flashback to like a science fair type deal at the high school, mm-hmm. and they show Heather Mooney standing next to Sandy Frank, who had a crush on Michelle. Yes. And Mich- or, uh, Heather also has a crush on Sandy. Yes. Michelle, oh Michelle, over here. Want me to get your huge notebook for you? Oh, Heather, I want to take another picture of you and Sandy for the yearbook and <gasps> I want to interview you too because I think it would make a really interesting article for the roundup. Oh, Toby, fuck off. Okay, but can I take a picture of you first? So that was like a school reporter who's just this, you know, very happy, uh, excited, energetic, like photographer, photojournalist wants to take a picture of Sandy and uh, Heather because Mm -hmm. of their science project and uh, interview them for the school yearbook or school uh, school newspaper or whatever. Right. And Heather is so pissed off that Sandy is like smitten over Michelle that she just tells Poor Toby, the photographer. <laughs> Unrelated, Unrelated person. <laughs> and that's a running gag in the movie. Every time yeah. Toby interacts with Heather, she tells her to F off. Yeah. It happens over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and so what happens at the end of the movie is you 
see Heather make the realization that, yeah, I felt victimized my entire high school experience, mm-hmm. but I never realized that I was victimizing Toby, <laughs> this poor, like, very happy woman. Yeah. <laughs> you had said, because it's like, because at the end of the movie, Toby even brings it up to an adult Heather at mm-hmm. the reunion. Like, I wish you wouldn't talk to me that way. Because it hurts my feelings. And I said, she's got a therapist. <laughs> and so when she's he- the only one who went to therapy in this town. And Heather tells her sorry. That yeah. She was so mean to her in high school. And I was like, that's that's resolution that her and her therapist have been seeking out for years. Right. <laughs> so that's what this movie presents is the idea that when you're in high school, even if you have a terrible experience and you feel victimized by like the people above you in the pecking order, you are also more most likely also victimizing someone yeah. below you and making their life miserable. Yeah. And you might not even notice, might right. even remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I, I have a very stupid story about high school, another senior in high school story. Um, I, I was a very angry boy. I was, well, <laughs> I, as we said, I was, I was a lot like Heather Mooney. I was just done with it. You know, yeah. it's like a, I'd watched a girl I had a crush on go and date some dude <laughs> from my psychology class. And I was never the same. <laughs> it was my villain I was angry moment. before that. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, and so I lashed out by creating a mean Facebook group about our school's ASB <laughs> and it turned to the school. Like it was, it was like, it was like half the school loved me for it and half the school hated me for it. <laughs> but like, I always tried to defend myself saying like, no, they just didn't re- represent, you know, the, the common, the common student. Uh-huh. That was always my thing. It's like, no, they just, they didn't represent like me and my group of friends, you know, whatever. Like I was standing up for the little guy. Truth was I was just lashing out. Yeah. And I probably made ASB students that were trying their best to cry, you know. Yeah, probably. And, 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 yeah. At least three people cried because of you in high school. Oh yeah. And so like I think back to that and I was just like, I feel really bad. Like I feel like I should have never done that. Like yeah. I shouldn't have put that much, you know, pressure on people who were just trying to do their, you know, basically just trying to make the school better for everybody, I trying guess. Trying to get know? them college credits. Yeah. You know, they were just doing their thing. And I was totally mean. And so for this movie to bring up that idea, too, that Heather realizing, oh, yeah, I may have been, you know, a lot of crap was shoved in my face in high school, but I shoved it right back at other people. Yeah. Makes sense. She never took it out on that boy that she liked. She should have done that, especially at prom. Speaking of prom. Do you think this is the last night of school and I might never see him again? But maybe he would dance with me? would i mean it's senior prom nobody's gonna say no to anyone tonight that's romy at prom wanting to ask billy christensen who's like this hot football player boy a hot in quotation marks and a question mark (laughs) he's he's definitely a grown man playing a high school student yeah um and they're at prom and she wants to ask him to dance because this is their last chance yeah what does he do to her i don't have clips from it because there was just so many he stands her up. And if you want to know exactly how it is, you definitely need to see the movie. I'm not giving you blow by blow of that because it's a great moment. It's a terrible moment. It's really, really sad. It's like the <laughs> end of the first act where you learn like why Romy and Michelle are like soulmates for each other and like mm. why they always got each other's backs and yeah. they're best friends forever. Yeah. Poor Romy gets stood up at the prom even after Billy's like, yeah, I'll dance with you. Or he goes like, why not? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? And then doesn't just leaves just her doesn't there. yep just leaves her there so poor Romy and michelle are standing on the dance floor all night waiting for that dance that never comes and they dance together alone yeah it's beautiful i want to talk about best friends go for it 
Best friends are so good. I don't know. I feel like it's so amazing. And I know this is a work of fiction, but it's amazing to find like your your literal BFF, your best friend for life in high school. Um, but because that gives you a lot like or earlier because that gives you so much time. Um, but I love best friends, right? Like and I there is no rule saying you can only have one best friend it's in true, the same way true. that you don't have one soulmate. Um, and okay, that's a personal opinion, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the best friend things is a fact. And like, there are, there are literally a handful of people, like five maybe that I would think that like, if I was stood up for any reason would be by my side in one second, like, you know, and, and that's not a huge Thing, but like for any big moment right like to be there and have your back like that that i think it was when we started watching this i had said to you the reason i watched this so much is because it's one of those rare films especially in this era that isn't about romantic love it's about the love of uh that you find in friendship and the love yep, in the, yep. like a family that you build that isn't um romantic or sexual or anything in that way and there's something so magnificent about being able to watch something and be moved by just like people choosing to be there for you because you're you because of the history you have together because you built that history together and i don't know i mean i love my best friends i've got a few one's called cousin one's called well i call her something in korean but we'll call her damsel one's called like you know just i will name all my friends like my best friends in high school were grim and sin like that those were the names that I <laughs> were I you guys gave in a them. punk band? <laughs> okay, you know what my nickname in high school was? What Twilight? And this was far before those books came out, and before uh, My Little Pony. I don't know if it was before Twilight. Twilight played. Sparkle. Yeah, no, I was just called Twilight. But like once those things like gained popularity, they stopped calling me that <laughs> because they're like, nah, I can't, can't do it. But like. Like, there are people that I've known for, I have, like, friendships that are, like, 15 years old or, or around that, you know? Or yep. I've got friends that are 20, like, I've had friends that are for 20 years, yeah. Yeah, that are just kind of, like, they're there. Like, yep. I may not have talked to you all month or in two months, but as soon as you get on the phone, like, this is it. We're, we're here, you know? Like, yep. I will drop everything. There have been times where, it was like, one of my friends is going through something. I'm taking off of work. I'm driving several hours to go and see them. I will be there for the whole weekend. I will do it. And, you know, like, and to have that, like, it's such an amazing, beautiful, special thing. And, like, Romy and Michelle's relationship is so sweet in this movie. Like, they love, they're just, they encourage each other constantly. Mm-hmm. Talk about how cute they are. You know, like, each other <laughs> are. They've always, like... They find like they're just ultra positive with each yeah. other. It's like even if something isn't bad, they're just like, well, what would you do, Romy? You know, like, it, like you know, Michelle, you don't. It's it's so good. Like they're always just lifting each other up, yeah. and it's really sweet to watch. Yeah, they do such a great job. They do. Yeah, and that's what makes it like more than just a dumb buddy movie. You mm-hmm. know, like Night at the Roxbury, or I don't know, I think they get like like wedding crashers or mm-hmm. like other dumb buddy movies. Like they're always, it seems like they're always nagging each other. And like the two friends, like, you know, they, they split up at some, like th- this happens in this movie too. Yeah. Like where Romeo and Michelle have a falling out for but two it's, hours. Yeah. It's, it's like very short <laughs> and they immediately apologize to each other. Yeah. But like they never like really insult each other. Like mm-hmm. they they always want to bring out the best in each other and they yeah. do. They compliment each other so well. Yeah. And it's just like, we just live with, we, we live with each other in our big apartment and we eat junk food and go out <laughs> clubbing together. Yeah. We take care of our cat. 
<laughs> we adopted a cat together. <laughs> it's forever. Yeah. And it's just, it's so worth it. But of course, right? Like you don't have a movie if there's in some kind of conflict, right. right? And that's when the quarter life crisis happens. Yes. But before we get to that real quick, I do want to l- l- finish off this high school talk with one final clip because this is like... I don't think we have too many like real kids listening to this that are still in high school. <laughs> but if you are a listener and you are in high school, here's some advice that Romy and Michelle can give you, and I'll add on to it. Okay, this is so typical. Of course, we're like the only ones who don't look like we're going to a hoedown. Oh, I know. This town is like so unhealthy. I can't wait till we move to LA. Me too. <laughs> Everything's going to happen for us there, Michelle, and we'll never look back. Okay. 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 I had to get the one clip of Michelle saying okay because she says it over and over again. <laughs> okay. I love Michelle. But um, <laughs> the idea that no matter how horrible high school is, guess what? Once it's done, it's done. Yeah. And you can leave. Yeah. Guess what? You can go to college or go get a job and you completely remake yourself. You can move away from the people in high school, go to a new place, fresh start. Yeah. It's it's. It's that easy. You like, never have to think about high school again unless you become a high school teacher. That, that's that's true. <laughs> but yeah, like there's no reason why. There's always something to look forward to after high school. You just move on. Yeah. You can you can move on and never look back. And yeah. It's, it's actually that is way true. Yeah. You know, it's like I moved on to high school. I moved on from high school to college. Um, I feel like I found myself and became you know the person I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it you know it's, it's been great. Yeah. So that, that's, I agree with that. <laughs> And the movie says so too. <laughs> but as you mentioned, yes, Romy and Michelle do have what you coined as a quarter life crisis. Uh, they have to fill out a questionnaire to go to the the reunion, and they're like, you know, basically, it's like get rem- getting to know you type questions, right? Like, so that people know what everyone's been up to in the ten years since high school finished. Occupation: cashier. Unemployed. No, do it right that. Um, okay, so your last job was as a sales girl? So say you're a freelance fashion consultant. Ooh, clever. Relationship status? Married? Nope. Engaged? No. Living with someone? Should I say you? I guess so. Okay. You know, Michelle? Yeah? Now that I'm looking at this, uh-huh. our lives don't seem as impressive as I thought. They don't? Well, do you think it's impressive that we're still single and we've been living together for 10 years and I'm a cashier and you're unemployed? Well, not super impressive. Well, then what's the point of going if we're not going to impress people? Well, uh. Long clip, but I feel like that tells you the the main conflict of the film yeah. is poor Romy and Michelle don't feel like they've lived up to what they want people to see when they go back to the high school. Yeah. Reunion, which, guess what, is a real thing that people <laughs> experience. That's true. It is. And I call it quarter life crisis because calling it a midnight crisis means you're not going to live very long. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's different than a... I feel like a midlife crisis is like another step, but it's like... So... I just, you know, I, I'm going to be turning 30 here next year, mm-hmm. you know, or this year when you're listening to oh, this. Oh, yeah, because this is 2021. Um, and so, like, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, like, I, you know, I reached 28 and I was, like, thinking, because also I had, like, kind of like, quit my, the job I was working at and was, like, doing something else, you know, and I was, like, thinking, 
have I like done enough? Like, am I, you know, it's like, am I a loser? Am I a failure? Have I done enough in life? You know, like whether it be like job wise. And I'm sure people think like, if they're still single, it's like, I'm not even married. Like, and then you start thinking about all the other people that you went to high school with. And it's like, well, look at them. They're successful. They're, they're a doctor or they're mm-hmm. a lawyer or they're married with kids or they're something. They're somebody. They're traveling. Yeah. They're somebody and yeah. I'm nobody. You know, and then you start getting your head and you think you're worthless. And it's like, that's a totally real thing that happens to people. Yeah. Did you experience anything like that? Uh, yes. Often in my early mid twenties. <laughs> I think like it's, I calling it a quarter mile. Like this is a thing that I think happens not just when you're faced with like a milestone, like, oh, I'm turning 30 or, um, I have a, a reunion to go to or something like that. But I think it happens when you feel stuck and complacent and you like look around, right? Like when I graduated college, uh, a great deal of my friends had gone off to do grad school and different things like that. And that just wasn't the path for me. I didn't want any more debt and there was nothing that I wanted to learn um, enough to apply myself to possibly three more years of school. But looking at some of my best friends flying all over the country or going out of the country or doing X, Y, and Z when I was like, I have to get a job where I am right now so I can start paying off this college debt so I can do da, da, da. But then like having, I don't know if Facebook, definitely. I don't think I had an Instagram at that point. Um, And like seeing the lives of the people who are presented around me that like I'm in the same age group with the same demographic that we came from the same place. Like why am I unable to achieve the things that they are doing? Right. And I think for everyone else, everyone is different. I was seeing a bunch of friends getting married and I was not about that life. Love you. But, um, I was not trying to get married. So that didn't like phase me. I was not trying to have children. So that didn't phase me, but seeing people like have money to, to travel places, to like eat amazing foods, to, do X, Y, to buy a new car. Look, I was poor <laughs> to yeah, just do yeah. these different things. Like it was something that like really great. And I mean, like, why am I not enough? Why can I not use the same tools um, that were set before me? Like, why am I failing when so many people around me are thriving? And that, Hey kids, that sucks. It I'm sure suck. that you felt that at least at some point listening to this. Like, I don't care how old you are, especially in this uh, day and age. If we actually have high schoolers listening, which kids, <laughs> <laughs> actual children, <laughs> stop. Um, but do, do like, what you want. <laughs> Tell your friends. <laughs> stop it. No, but like considering what what the world looks like and how um, if you have access to an Internet or a phone or a tablet of any sorts, which you definitely do. We just got out of COVID. Like kids are in the media, you know, are on social media and different things like that. So hundred percent, like I know um, 12 year old girls who feel like what I felt, you know, like it's easier and even younger. It's easier now to look up and see where people have gone Mm -hmm. than ever before. I assume. Yeah. Yeah. It's like really easy to just go on your you know social media and like, search for somebody you knew in high school and see what they're up to. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, man, you just, it's easy to compare yourself to other people and be like, man, I haven't achieved anything. Mm-hmm. I'm a failure. Yeah. It sucks, you know? And, and then to have like a platform with which you have to go and perf- literally perform in front of people. Like, yeah. oh, I've done nothing, but now I have to stand in front of all these people that I cyber stalk and like come up with something. Yep. 
Um, so Romy and Michelle deal with something very similar. So they they think to obviously I just played the clip. They think to themselves like, well, we don't have very good jobs. You know, Romy works as a a receptionist mm-hmm. and Michelle is unemployed. Yeah, and they don't have any boyfriends. Like, and so it's like <laughs> we have bad jobs and we have no boyfriends. And so, we have no love life. So their first course of action is, well, let's just get those things. <laughs> Romy, I still really, really, really want to go. I know. Me too. Well, then can't we just, like, think of something? Okay. Well, the reunion is still, like, two weeks away, right? Right. And all we really need is maybe some, like, better jobs and boyfriends, right? Yeah. But, okay, if those things were so easy to get, wouldn't we already have them? Well, I mean, we never really tried before. I mean, we never really had a good enough reason, like, going to a reunion to motivate us. That's true. So they set out to get better jobs and boyfriends. And then you get these like fun little misadventures with both of them. Not getting any of that. And they suck so bad. (laughs) Like like Michelle goes to like this like high end fashion store on On Rodeo Rodeo Drive. Drive. And like talking to this British guy who clerk. It's like, yeah, I'm just, you know, looking to get, you know, I'm so good with people. I can, you know, like she goes that she turns to this old lady who's trying on clothes. That looks great on you. And she goes, see, I'm really good with people. I can tell. People that they look good and make them feel good, even if they don't look good. <laughs> this woman just looks at her. And walks away. I think she heard me. <laughs> and Romy um, is trying to find a boyfriend, and she gets so desperate that she tries to go to Singled Out on a, a MTV. <laughs> like, she yeah. tries the, the game show route, the yeah. dating show ga- game <laughs> show route. And the MTV producer there ter- tells her, yeah, you're too old for our demographic, which I'm sure also hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's a silly plan. It's very silly. And it's just, you know, to have these two characters do silly things. Yeah. It's a comedy after all. Yeah. But it's still fun to watch. And then that fails because of course it did. <laughs> and they think, okay, what's the next thing? So they come up with the plan. And this is the plan they go with when they actually go to the reunion. Oh my God, Michelle, that's it. We can go to the reunion and just pretend to be successful. I mean, who's gonna know? They're in Tucson, we're here. We can just show up looking like businesswomen. Oh my God. (laughs) Wait, oh. But if the people at the reunion see us drive up in a Nova, won't they know we're not really businesswomen? If you can make us the clothes, I can get us the car. (laughs) She scams her coworker out of a car. She borrows the car. She borrows the car. Uh, Michelle makes them like two fancy businesswoman suits. They look very good. They do. Uh, and so they drive off to Tucson in their fancy car with their fancy suits. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene. I wish I got this clip. I had forgotten. But it's like they stop at a diner and they're like, we're businesswomen. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a businesswoman business special? special? And the, 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 the waitress is like, what kind of business are you in? And they just look at each other blank-faced. Because they realized. They didn't think that hard. Nope. And they, they decide, okay, well, what are what are we going to do? I know. Why don't we say that we own our own company? Oh, good. Like what? Like, what if we invented something? Like what? Well... Okay, I, I think it should be like something that, that everybody has heard about, but, but nobody really knows who invented it. Oh my god, I've got it! Post-its! Everybody knows what post-its are. Yeah! They're the little yellow things with the stick on the back, right? Oh. Got a little more comic comic <laughs> chameleon in there. 
Boy George. Shout out to him. Boy George. Um, yep. So they decide we're going to act like we are entrepreneurs and we've just, we've invented the post-it note. And it works out perfectly. It does not. It works it, out perfectly. It works out perfectly in Michelle's dream sequence <laughs> where she remembers the, uh, the formula the chemical for compound of glue. Yeah, but yeah, it's not real. They end up and they get caught in the lie immediately. Like just straight up immediately. Like it, it gets called out. We're just discussing our class success stories. So what are you up to? Ever hear Lady First Cigarettes? I invented the quick burning paper. Wow. We have a whole class full of inventors. Meaning? Oh, you know, Sandy Frank invented something too. Hey, isn't that Sandy over there now? What does Sandy invent? Some kind of rubber. Romy here invented post-its. We did not. Yeah, I did. You did not? Yeah, I did. You did not? Yeah, I, well, who did then? A guy named Mark Fry from the 3M Corp. We started in business school. And like, so that's, you know, that's like, you know, the, the conflict climax of the film there is at the very end where Romy and Michelle are at the reunion and it's not what they hoped it would be. Yeah. And they're caught in this lie and, you know, as it should, it, it's a movie. You need to, mm -hmm. you know, have a good arc and the characters need mm -hmm. to realize that the, the point, you know, it's like the victory is not in, you know, standing by your lie and impressing mm -hmm. a bunch of people. It's about standing up for yourself and being yourself. Yeah. And I feel like that's like so freaking fun because at the end of the movie, Romy and Michelle, they tear off the facade and they be who they have always been. They turn from businesswomen into women who mean business. They just, you know, dress up in their fancy, like, not the fancy, but like. Their, their regular clothes. Like, yeah, they're they The clothes they designed to themselves. Yeah. And they, they just go out and have fun at the yeah. party. And like, that's the thing. It's like, the point of this movie, I feel like the main theme is believe in yourself, be true to yourself. And that's all that matters in life, right? It's like, who cares what anyone else thinks about you? Yeah, Just like, stand up for yourself. You left this place because these people don't matter. and They're toxic. And you came back. These people don't matter. Like, they have no hold on your life. So you could just show up as who you are and then be, and oh, be proud of it you're still not dating anyone you're not married you guys live uh-huh and we live our best lives and then leave like you they they have no presence in your your actual life your real life you know but i think sometimes when we think through it like it's it's easy to see how they got caught back in the like the cycle of that kind of comparing yourself to other people yeah like feeling lesser than yeah. And even the trauma of that, I could see, like, I think there would be, like, honestly, I would, if this was real life, I would tell Heather Mooney not to go back to her. Like, I was like, you had a trash time. It turned you into a person who definitely needs therapy. Yes. Um, that is not going to be a healthy situation for you to go back for no reason, because you're going to regress. Don't do it. <laughs> it's true. And I feel like there's also this meta version of that theme in the movie itself, right? The writer, the actresses, the director, they pulled off this script so confidently mm -hmm. because they knew the kind of movie they wanted to make. Yeah. And they did it just with, you know, just full confidence. <laughs> um, and that's why the movie is as successful as it is. Right? right. I feel like in the hands of people who didn't care and it was like this very cynical move about, you know. Ah, ditzy blondes go to the reunion, you know, like yeah. Valley girls go to their reunion. Like that could have fallen straight on its face and it would have been forgotten. Mm -hmm. Like this movie would have just been another trashy nineties flick. Yeah. Um, 
And no one would have cared. It would have been like, these are dumb stereotypes. This movie is really lame. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a product of the time and it's forgotten. But no, this movie is so confident in what it wants to be mm -hmm. that it, it's so good and positive and fun. And yeah. it's like, it should be revisited. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are some like off color weight jokes, but uh, because a product of this time, but it, there are like so few that it, it in general, the movie is just, it's excellent. It's excellent. It's very positive. And yeah. Like, Excellent. It reminded me of Bill and Ted. It's not unlike Bill and Ted, where it's like Bill and Ted is so po like those movies are so positive, and Bill and Ted love each other. <laughs> like they just mm. lift each other up. This is the female version of Bill and Ted. Yes, it's like best these friends. Two positive best friends that constantly encourage each other and they bring out the best in each other. It's yeah. all about being yourself. Yeah, this movie's so good. The movie is and so good. they tell you like. I feel I, I got to get this freaking line because this is the most powerful line in the movie. <laughs> it's the type of thing everybody wants to tell to their school bully. Yeah. Right? It's like you want to go back to the school bully and just say this to them or the establishment or like the faculty that made life a living hell. This is what you say to them. What the hell is your problem, Christy? Why are you always such a nasty bitch? You get some kind of sick pleasure from torturing other people. I mean, yeah, OK. So Michelle and I did make up some lame story. We only did it because we wanted you to treat us like human beings. But you know what I finally realized? I don't care if you like us, because we don't like you. You're a bad person with an ugly heart, and we don't give a flying fuck what you think. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> that line in the movie just makes everyone go, yes! <laughs> it's so good. And that's Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. <laughs> it's like that's a what, great way to end. What else do you end on? Nothing. I don't give Just a flying that. f what you think. <coughs> oh, the movie is man. so clutch. It's cinch. It is everything. If we haven't made this abundantly clear, we highly recommend this film. Highly. Like it. You're you're gonna hear some of those clips and think, oh, that that sounds like dumb blonde talk. You know, like oh, that's you know Valley Girl speak. That sounds like a dumb movie. It sounds silly and stupid. No, it's good. <laughs> It's really good. It really is, though. It's so good. What did the world think? Tell me. So Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion grossed a total of $29 million in North America against a $20 million budget. Um, I assume that's lower than Disney had anticipated. Well, actually, yeah. I don't know. Disney had low expectations. Yeah. So it ended up making more than its budget. It yeah. probably didn't make... What they... What, what the, you know, that plus the marketing budget. Mm -hmm. But... This movie has since become a cult film, and I can only assume it made a bunch of money on home video. Mm -hmm. To the surprise of many, including screenwriter Robin Schiff, the film received positive critical reception. Yeah. The New York Times, for example, called it, quote, cheerful, giddy fun. <laughs> CNN said, quote, if you're in the mood for fluffy fun, it is likely to, it is likely to make you laugh. The flick holds special charms for moviegoers who, like me, were not members of their high school in crowd. Mm. And Grandpa Ebert said, quote, Scorvino and Kudrow work easily and wickedly together. They do have great chemistry. They do. Yeah. However, some reviewers noted the weaker second half, which I kind of, yeah, the, the second half of the movie is a little weaker than the first half. I understand that. Uh, film critic Matthew Petrovic, for example, said, quote, there are a lot of funny scenes in this film, although about halfway through, it seems to drag a little bit. Incorrect. There's still good stuff at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, and because I just like this quote, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette said, it's not stupid. It's adorable. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> That's, oh, I want that on a shirt. That's, a, I want that on a shirt. I want that on it's a not shirt. stupid. It's, it's adorable. adorable. There's a difference. Christmas is coming. I'm, I'm putting, I'm putting that on a shirt and I'm wearing we it. We want that on a Christmas sweater. 
Yes. Uh, Janine Garofalo was nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the 2020 Awards and the Clotridis Awards, which was for <laughs> indie films. Uh, Lisa Kudrow was nominated for Best Actress in a Motion Picture Comedy or Musical at the Satellite Awards. And Lisa Kudrow, Mira Sorvino, and Alan Cumming were nominated for Best Dance Sequence at the MTV Movie Awards. It was. It was a great best. interpretive dance scene at the end of the film. It's absolutely the best. Uh, nothing, you shouldn't have said nominated. It won. It won. There was nothing that could have been better. And what of the legacy of Romy and Michelle's high school reunion? Two soundtrack albums featuring music from the film were released in 1997. The first, the first album, titled Original Soundtrack, was made available 10 days after the official North American film release, while the second album, More Music from the Motion Picture, was released four months later. More. There's a lot of music in this movie. There is, yeah. A prequel television film intended as a pilot for a new TV series titled Romy and Michelle in the Beginning premiered on ABC Family in 2005. Hmm. Did you ever see that one? No. Never even heard of it. Was Lisa Kudrow a part of that no, project? No, it was like two random chicks. That makes sense. I was like, maybe if they were in high school? I think it's like, a yeah, it's a prequel. So it's yeah. them in high school. No, I mean, I haven't seen it, but. And a musical adaptation of the film premiered at Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle, Washington in Seattle, 2017. I need to know what, what kind of songs came out of this music. Uh, Robin Schiff was involved. So I the need original... the songs. So if we can dig up some songs or some scenes from the Romeo and Michelle musical, we will share them on our Twitter. Absolutely. And that is our show. So like, I think that's it, right? That's our movies in 1997. Yeah. Easy one this time. Who won? Ah, ha, ha. Romeo and Michelle won because yes, the power of friendship. It did. It did. I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, honey, we shrunk ourselves is not bad. Well, actually, I really like that. Let's just split it. No, no. Let's Ro just split it. I think yours won. <laughs> what, what? I think it was yours. I think you had the better movie. You just you just want you, you want to make your victory all the sweeter because you're trying to be humble. <laughs> what did that make me want to quote the Iron Sheik, but I don't know anything? <laughs> Romy and Michelle is the winner. Romy and Michelle is 100% the winner. Hey, kids, when we put up polls this week, watch, watch the, the movie. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna be so mad. I'm gonna be so. You're all gonna be in timeout if Romeo and Michelle doesn't sweep. <laughs> Watch the movies. Uh, what's next? Runners up. Yeah, you want to talk about runners up? I what do. we could have been watching if we hadn't been watching this? Yeah. Well, for you, Rodney, we could have been watching a Disney movie called Hercules. Yep. I didn't realize that was in '90s. I watched that 90s. movie in the theater, and then like. Maybe a few times at friends' houses, but I never owned it. Mm. So that one was never in the VHS rotation because I never owned it. Hercules. And honestly, it's like it's like one of my least favorite of the Disney Renaissance, that 10-year period. Mm. It's not bad, but I'm like, Hercules, I think, is like not as good as some of the other Disney movies we talked about. It's no Lion King. I mean, all Disney movies seem the same to me during this period of time. Because I'm an uncultured that, uh, slob. Speaking of high school uh, and Hercules, uh, that, that song that Hercules sings at the beginning. Uh, I Can Go the Distance? I Can Go the Distance. Uh, some kid sang that at my little sister's graduation. <laughs> one of her high school uh, peers. Mm -hmm. And that kid freaking belted that song out and is amazing. Owned it. Yeah. like nice. that, that That song... Tells you know that, that's a good that, yeah. It's a good graduation. Yeah. It's, song. it's a good graduation song. Just go the distance. I think our graduation song was like high seas, something. The graduation song sounds like a. It, was a, it sounds like a wiggle song or something. <laughs> no, <laughs> high sea was the name of the ba the woman singing. No, oh, okay. Anyway, 
whatever. Um, we also could have been watching Jackie Brown. Ah, Jackie Brown. So that is Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. Give it a few more years. Jackie Brown will most likely be the movie from 1997 I've seen the most. Yeah. Um, in the last 10 years since I first watched it, I've watched it at least once a year. He made us dance to it at our wedding. I did. Made us dance to the movie playing in the background. No, just a we song from the movie. danced for two hours. No, no. <laughs> we danced from a song from the movie. That movie is excellent. Um, it's like the black sheep of Quentin Tarantino's mm. um, filmography. But I love that movie. Um, and yeah. It, could, it it was very close to being the movie of 1997. Yeah. With a few more years, a few more viewings, it probably would have pushed past. I feel like it's the only Tarantino movie I haven't fallen asleep in. No. I mean, it's a good movie. It's very good. Yeah, it's a good movie. <clears throat> and last but not least, we could have, but definitely didn't watch Liar Liar. Jim Carrey's Liar Liar. So that's another, that's a movie <clears throat> that we almost thought was my movie of 1997. Because my mom loved this movie. She, <laughs> she bought it for herself on VHS tape, and we used to watch it as a family. And we'd skip over the sex scenes. <laughs> or like the, lo- you know, like the sex jokes. Yeah. Do you think? Is that what your mom told you? She skipped over them while you were watching? Oh, no. She definitely did. I remember. Okay. She's, like, she's like, turn around. You know, Aww. like skip over. Um, yep. So I thought that we watched that. A- we did watch it a bunch. So I thought we had watched that one the most. But then... When I realized that Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves also came out that year, that was for sure the movie. Yes. So I didn't have to sit through Liar Liar. And that was it for you. For me, um, it could have been Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Hey. Yeah. But Romy definitely blew that out of the water. Um, It could have been Fools Rush In. Have you ever seen that movie? Nope. What is that? It's a movie with Salma Hayek and Matthew Perry. Um, It's... They have a random one night stand. They like meet each other, have a one night stand and then never really see each other again until three months later. Uh, she pops back up and he's like, oh, my gosh. Hi. you like we we had a great time and you ran out and I wanted to get to know you, blah, blah, blah. And, and she's like, maybe it's a little bit more. Maybe it's five months. Uh, and she's like, you're preg- you're pregnant. Like, yeah. How far along are you? Five months. <laughs> well, huh? Oh, it's a great movie. <laughs> it's there a good go. movie. I haven't watched it. I remember watching it a lot because for some reason, my teacher went uh, in high school or maybe junior high school would play it in Spanish class. It was like one of the oh. movies that she would do. I assumed she was hungover. <laughs> that, that, was, that was the thing. <laughs> uh, and I saw it otherwise. I remember I would keep seeing pieces of it. So I just watched it by myself and I was like, oh, I actually really enjoy that. It's good. Okay. Um, also high on that list. The Fifth Element, a movie which yeah. you do not like. No. I love that movie. There are elements of the movie I do like, but it's... Are there five elements of that movie uh, you like? <laughs> it's... I think it's just too loud and... Um, I don't know. Something about the aesthetic is just not pleasing to I me. I quote that movie still. Big bada boom. Big bada boom. Big, there's a lot. Or... Corbin! Corbin! What's that guy? Corbin! <laughs> or sometimes I just do the dance. Ho, 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 ho. The space opera. Chris is it Chris Rock? Yes. Yeah, he's he does a good job. Yeah, it's a Chris Rock. No, Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, the other Chris. Um, it's a great movie. I enjoy it a lot. Uh, and my first runner-up, Princess Mononoke. Ah, I watched that a great deal. That and we om- you almost we almost considered that your movie. Like it was close. Like yeah. to Romy. Like that one was like up there. Like, you had yeah. to think about it. I did have to think like a lot because I watch it because 
this is probably the Princess Mononoke is probably the uh, second most watched Ghibli film in my thing. It's Kiki's, then this, then Spirited Away. Kiki's, yeah, then yeah. Princess Mononoke, and then Spirited Away. The only reason, I, or the only problem I have with Princess Mononoke is it's just too long. It's very long. Like we, I've watched it at movie nights a lot, like at a, like a handful of movie nights with mm-hmm. people, and I always feel like it's just too long, and we get tired watching it. <laughs> It's a great film, though. It is. Yeah. I always, again, just quote the one line, give me back my daughter. You do say Demon. that. Demon. I do say it a lot. <laughs> just give me back whatever I want. It's like and every, then I call every, you Demon. It's like, like every <laughs> Japanese like action adventure game from the past 20 years was inspired by Princess That's Mononoke. Fair. That's fair. Zelda, Breath of the Wild. It's got a lot of Mononoke in it. That's true. But those are all of our runners up for yeah. 1997 movies. Yep, and so it is now time for plugs. Hair plugs. I'm sorry. You can follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Made Show. You can tweet at us, tell us how much you like the show. Uh, you'd be in good company because before we recorded today, <laughs> we realized that ex-Dream Theater frontman Charlie Dominici listened to and tweeted at us. He listened to our podcast and tweeted <laughs> us about it. And we were like, what? It was it was very nerve-wracking. I don't even know how we sat here and recorded. <laughs> yeah, that was nuts. So thank you, Papa Nietzsche, for listening to the show. Yeah. You'd be in good company if you tell your friends about the show. Yes. Tell them you just you'd be just like Charlie Dominici. <laughs> um but anyway, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We put up polls, pictures, videos. Fun things about the movies that we talked about um, and music and TV as well. Um, as for me, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Rod the Master. That's at Rod the Master. And I have a few projects. I host a wrestling YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E, where we talk about professional wrestling. So if you like wrestling, especially 90s wrestling, that's the place to be. And I write for a website called ZeldaDungeon.net that, speaking of Zelda, we write about the Legend of Zelda video game series. So if you like Zelda, you can check that out too. Hi, I'm Jess, a businesswoman. <laughs> you invented post-its. I invented post-its. Um, if you want to find out, if you want to follow me to do some stuff, I've got uh, a YouTube. I don't know if anything's up. It's the new year at this point. Um, but I'm working on a couple of projects that I want to finish before I even start uploading. So I'm hoping uh, by February or March of this year, uh, my, the YouTube will be up and running, uh, which is Taming Tales, where I will be um, doing some things, telling stories, maybe doing vlogs. Look, I've got a lot of stuff. We'll see what pans out. We'll see what pans out. We'll see what pans out. Um. So if you want to uh, come and drop by and see my face, probably, or see any of my old stuff, you can totally go and look at some of my old stuff. That's not stopping you. It's not. It, not my old, old stuff. Not my old, old stuff. <laughs> Matter of fact, if you go to the nor- Narwhal vlogs, skip one through four. Just do it. Just skip it. Mm-hmm. Skip one through six. <laughs> that's, that's Taming Tales on YouTube. Um, and with that, that is the end of our show. Yeah. We're going to be closing out with... The, uh, you know, 1980s classic Time After Time by Cindy Lauper, which was featured in a very touching scene in Romeo and Michelle. It's also a great song. Yeah. It's like, if you want to make the case this is the best song in the 80s, I wouldn't argue with you. It's <laughs> definitely one of them. But that is that. Uh, we will see you all next time with our music of 1997. And remember, kids, high school isn't forever, but Birkenstocks probably are. If you're